Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Have, like, your own show. And I was like, oh, I don't don't think you're talking about me. Someone (laughs) wrote in and said uh, to to (laughs) say that um, your turkey talk did not inspire me, but I would love to be able to bottle Britney's laugh. Oh, God. (laughs) That's a great comment. Oh, no. (laughs) You don't like that? You're not Uh. a Yanni, know what you brought up recently that I ha- that I've been meaning to bring up with other people? No, nope. maybe think like a lot less of you. Uh, <laughs> Giannis is saying that, that it's got to happen sometimes. Giannis is saying that when he was guiding elk hunters, that when dudes would like, there's turnover day, right? And new guys come in. Giannis would look and and hope to get assigned to the person that looked like they were the highest tipper. <laughs> How do you tell? That's what I was you, curious about. Yeah, you look you at their it, shoes or something. You or whatever, yeah, what is the it? Newest, little bit. Newest gear. Because we were talking about tips in general. Tips. Yeah. And we were talking about somewhere. We were talking about where they were pooling tips. I said I'd like that because you would like that. Well, yeah, because when the new crew rolls in, you you can you can't pick the guys out. Like the dude that rolls in, it's no, like you were saying. I saved five thousand dollars over ten years by collecting. Metal scraps. You're like, I don't here. want that guy. Yeah, and then at the end of the week, he doesn't kill elk, and he tips his dude a thousand bucks. And you're like, wow, well, how, how did that happen? It sounds you like know? a big tip. Oh, that's a giant tip. <laughs> oh, I thought so you were saying. Good. I thought you were saying the guy with the metal scraps would not tip well. That's well, what th- that's what you would think, right? Oh, okay. So you're like, saying yeah, curveball. But, but, but I'm saying you you can't pick them out. The guy you know? that was 
stripping down uh, copper wire for 10 years yeah. to, to go on a hunt. You'd be like, I don't want him. And then it turned out that you could, yeah. you didn't really know because maybe he had stripped so much copper wire. Right. I grew up, this is the last I'll say about this. Uh, you can explain more, but I grew up with guys that were so ambitious, but not ambitious that rather than get jobs, these guys one time went and hot wired some kind of piece of heavy equipment in order to load a spool of rubber coated copper cable into a truck and then spent days with a fire burning off the coating. Oh my God. To sell it. And like, how much copper are we talking about? A, sp- a giant spool. So like, a lot of like pounds. Dust, and pounds. Oh no, hundreds, hundreds of, pounds. of pounds of copper. Yeah. That's worth some money. And had a campfire and just slowly, <laughs> rather than like getting a job, just working for yourself, man. But, um, yeah, some guys don't. So to back up, so, 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 I just, I just felt to you like, like knowing you, I felt like you would, you would say, uh, or the way I understood you to be before mm-hmm. I, before I found out how you really are, I would have pictured that you'd say like, uh, yeah, you know, the guys come in and I look and I try to find the one who's dreaming the most, the one that's hungriest for this hunt. Cause I want to team up with him and give him an experience and by God, if I need to pay him to do it, I'll do it. I think that the guy, that's not the kind of guy you are. <laughs> the guide's dreams of the client that you want to guide probably change. you know, as you mature as a guide, it changes. Because like in the beginning, you're like, I want the guy that's never elk hunted, and then he won't call me out on the fact that I've only hunted two weeks more than he has. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and then later, you sort of probably get to the person that you're like, man, I want the dude that's just going to charge, going to get up at three a.m. He wants to hunt the top of the mountain every day and hike three hours in the dark every day, hike three hours in the dark back every day and then i think probably towards the end at least definitely happened with fishing for me is that um i like taking just newbies and beginners that just you know you show them one bugling elk and they're just like wow blew my mind that was unbelievable you know um and even if they weren't the best hunters if they at least were just trying into it and you know that's who you wanted to guide so that changes i think you know but you are working, and at the end of the week, sure, it's nice to go to the bar with a big wad in your pocket. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what was a good tip for – how long were these elk hunts? Five days. And what was a good tip at the time? What did the hunt cost? It was – It was a bargain basement hunt, man. Yeah, it was cheap. It was like 3000 for archery, maybe even a little bit less. That's a good deal. And yeah. uh, But we hunted a lot of public land, you know, and you might run into other dudes. And then I think – like if you hunted out of the cabin for rifle, might have been thirty five, thirty eight ish, something like that. So and a good tip. A good tip. I think like everybody was stoked if you got two hundred. We got a two to one, and you were like fine to go walk out of there with two hundred bucks from each guy. You know, you felt like you were getting stiffed if it was they only gave you a hundred for the whole week. You know, but every now and then you did get a dude that threw down the K. Like he basically double because we were getting paid two hundred bucks a day, and so he would double your wages for the week, which was sweet cash yeah exactly <laughs> cash <laughs> yep are you related to mark roscoe the former governor i am is that yeah. your dad no that's my uncle yeah my really? dad's oldest brother so you're like politically connected oh yeah no not necessarily <laughs> i mean yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how uh that was in the mid 90s yeah it was uh so he was in uh he had two terms here and unfortunately, I can't bring the exact dates to you, but yeah, it, it was in that time frame. Uh, and and having a back, ha- having your own. Uh, do you own out? Do you own Stone Glacier outright? No, 
Nope, I do not. You run it? What? What? How does it work? Um. Yeah, you like, but you like the the explain so, to me. Okay, you tell me. I, I I will explain it to you. <laughs> Can we hear who you're talking to? Is it too early to say who Even we're talking direction. to? No, let's do no. Let's, let's do a roundtable. Giannis Patel is here. Pete Munich. Pete Munich's been on here before. I have. Um, talking you, goats. Yeah, because Pete runs Rocky. You know how Giannis has the Rocky Mountain Squirrel Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Munich invented, right? You invented the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Once upon a time. Which is nice. the only goat-focused, mountain goat-focused conservation, conservation group. Yeah. And you were inspired, like, you, you had, like, a moment, like a... like a Epiphany. I, uh, yeah, I saw the governor's tag, bighorn tag in Montana get auctioned off at Wild Sheep Foundation one winter for $580,000. And ninety percent of that money, or five eighty, five eighty. I didn't know it ever went that high. Oh yeah, we'll, we got to return to that because that's something I want, oh, I want to talk yeah. about. Anyways, talk to you boys about ninety percent of that money went back to the state of Montana for sheep management and conservation. Yeah, and I love mountain goats and had previously hunted one and kind of inquired about our governor's tag, mountain goat governor's tag, and then kind of started asking about volunteer opportunities and conservation efforts, and that kind of a quiet answer. So. The Goat Alliance was formed. And what would the goat tag go for that same year? Uh, the Montana Governor's Mountain Goat Tag ranges from about fifteen to twenty three thousand dollars. I didn't know they had one. Oh yeah, you yep. never hear about that. Yeah, a lot. Most states do. See, all right, we're already digging a hole, man. Because there's so much shit that needs to be explained now. But okay, so Pete, yep. but you, Pete, you also work. Peter or Pete? I see Pete. both. Pete. Okay, just go ahead. But you also work for Stone Glacier. Yes, I do. That's like your main because you don't make money off running the goat alliance. Not a dime. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Kurt, tell t- tell all about what you got going on now. Okay, so um, I am the lead designer for Stone Glacier, and I'm also one of the owners, mm, and, the founder. Um, yep, I'm the founder. One, one of. Yep. One of. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Just, we have, we're in the room where you design packs. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it. You know, ninety percent of it I I do right here. Um, nice quiet space. You don't you know, no distractions and, uh, have everything you need right here. So yeah, um, I started stone glacier back in 2012. And then this last year, you know, we were looking for growth. We were looking, uh, to expand in, uh, other markets, do lots of other things. And we found, um, the right people that wanted to be involved. And, and so, you know, it's given me the time to move back into the design yep. primarily and focus on, on, you know, what I need to do. To grow the company. You know, back in the mid-90s, I was saying, it might have been a little later than that, I was like, you know what? There's no more room in this world for another microbrewery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. Yeah. Look at Bozeman. I, I was around, was around, alone. Was around 1999. Yeah. I declared market saturation. Yeah. But um, is it like, uh, is it sc- was it scary getting into, like starting a backpack company? No, it wasn't scary at all. Um I, I think, you know, financially it wasn't scary just because of the way that I went about it. Um, I, I wasn't looking to hit a home run. I wasn't looking to leverage my, you know, my family's life savings. Um, I was just looking to bring a product to market that I thought was viable that people would use. Uh, and, and so that was the only step was to actually take it on myself. Yeah. I talked to other companies, you know, nothing serious. Um, but, you know, they had their own programs going. They were doing their own thing. And so that, that was the only option. And started very small, you know, a minimum run. 
Um, and this was a side gig. This is not Kurt's full-time job. Yes. Yep. 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 Exactly. So, uh, what was a full-time job? Full-time job, uh, high voltage electrician in Alaska. Oh, yeah. That's why this room is plastered with uh, stuffed doll sheep. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, How many years were you up there? Is that a stone? No, it's not. No. Uh-uh. How many years were you up there? I was up there for thirteen. Oh okay. yeah. So you were stacking up doll rams. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was trying. <laughs> you shot all these doll sheep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can I ask a stupid question. What's the brown one? That is a Montana big one. Oh, okay. That's the that's the unlimited. That is, yeah. I don't want to talk about that a whole bunch. Okay. Uh, and then Brittany Brothers, you've been yeah. out here a bunch of times. How many times have you been out here? Only two times. Or, really? No, no, no. That's not true. I guess after this, the episodes too. So four times. Can you laugh for a minute? No. You have to, you have to make me <laughs> well, laugh. No, because a fella. I was just telling Brittany. A fella wrote in um, last time you were on, and and he was saying that he he wished that he could uh, bottle bottle Brittany's laughter. He provided full contact information once <laughs> yeah. you call. So I feel like you should chuckle for him now. Well, it's, it's organic, right? Like, I have to be prompted. I can't just, like, fake it. Otherwise, you know, what would be the fun in that? No. Um, what do you have to say? For, did, you, did you wind up getting a turkey this spring? No. I didn't. Did we, you, um, did you? we went once with Giannis and Helen, and her boyfriend came into town, and my boyfriend, and the whole Patellas clan. And then another time, um, my boyfriend and I went out east and were attacked by like the worst tick infection yeah but it doesn't those ticks don't matter oh they sure as hell do do when you have two dogs that are crawling with hundreds of ticks oh why would you bring dogs turkey hunting were you hunting turkeys illegally (laughs) no 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 they were just yeah get them in the air that's where you went wrong no they were hanging out in the camp pounded the brush and flushed a single turkey we were not hunting with dogs they were hanging out in the camper while we went in the morning but then like during the day, I mean, it was like 90 degrees too during the day. So we were like hanging out, and then they just like suddenly we realized they were crawling with ticks. So yeah, we just like the, the problem with those ticks and laughed. The problem with those ticks is that when you pick them off, you you always leave the parts but in you, and the parts in you itch like a bastard. Hmm. But they you don't. They don't really the, like bite onto you oh, yeah. for like another for like a day or so. No, but once they get on you, right, they right. get in your waist, they get onto your belt, right. anywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. And then they grab on, and you tear them off, and then you think you got them, and then it itches and swells yeah, up, yeah. and you got to get a tweezer and a razor. Oh, I mean, growing up in the South, I pulled ticks of off of myself and our pets growing up like all the time. I've just never seen anything or experienced anything like that. But these ticks don't carry lime. Right. So That's- it makes them cool with me. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, like getting bit, it's like getting bit by uh, mosquitoes. Not going to go West yeah, Nile. Yeah, that's no fun. Still, still yeah, a mosquito. better than a mosquito. Yeah. <laughs> they don't carry West Nile. Anyway, so next year. Yeah. Without the dogs. And maybe no ticks. Good luck. That kind of <laughs> comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to talk about these, these, the, the, this bighorn deal a little bit. Because what's interesting is that both Pete and Kurt have done the impossible. And killed a bighorn from a... And this isn't going to mean anything to 90% of the people listen. Killed a bighorn from a, a, an unlimited unit. Um, but first, I want to back up. What, what, uh, at what point when you're doing high-voltage uh, electrician work, why, uh, why were you like, man, what I really should be doing is, is stitching backpacks? Like, um, why, why? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it was more out of necessity. I was, I was accessing or trying to access some areas in Alaska that – you know, if you, if you could, if you could make one trip in and one trip out, 
then you've effectively doubled the range that you could cover. But if you had to make two trips out with, you know, all the extra gear that you're carrying and an entire sheep. Do you mean hunting off the road system? No, this is all, yeah, yeah, this is all flying, you know, flying in a super cub, drop off at a strip. And then what, what mountain ranges were you on? Uh, Chugash and, and the Alaska range Uh alone by yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, most of the time there, there was a couple of hunts I went with, with good friends, but that's that's really where it started. That's where I, I learned that I, or I was trying to learn how to sew because you wanted to make modifications. I'd gone through a, oh, so you mean like you were trying to like dick around with your existing. That's pack exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it to was. make it like a super pack. Well, lighter, lighter, and just a little bit more function for specifically what I was trying to do. And uh, but uh, primarily it was weight. It was being able to take things out of existing packs and still be able to put them back together so they'll function. So, like, what would be an example? What was a back? Like, what would be an example of a backpack that you started? Right? Were you like, what kind of pack would you buy that you'd want to dick with to make different? Uh, it was it was pretty much all of them at that point. Like you know, external had, frames? No, I didn't. I didn't carry any external frames. Uh, I, I went primarily with the internals. Um, you know, I had some North Face. I had some Arcteryx, and a majority of the time it was removing things and still being able to put it back together so it would work. So, you know, get rid of extra pockets, extra zippers, extra straps, move a strap down lower so you had more load compression, uh, you know, simple things like that. And, you know, slowly you, uh, I started ending up closer to what we have today. Um, like a way-ass stripped-down backpack. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And being able to keep it modular. You know, interestingly enough, one of the first backpacks I used when I went up there, I don't know if you guys have uh, remembered or ever used it, was the old uh, Coleman External. Yeah. Yeah, well, they had different packs that you could put on there. So now you could, you know, at, at the time, this was, you know, well, I mean, early you 90s. The Coleman External. Yeah. But you yeah. said you didn't use external packs. No, but n- not like the not like the true tubular external. So this Coleman frame was, you know, a footprint that was very small in in, in comparison to say, you know, the Kelty or the Barneys, yeah. which are yeah, I mean good packs on That's their own. That's what we started using in Alaska when I first started hunting up there was the like the tubular Yeah. I mean the full on like pins with the for sure, the pins with the key, the key ring mm-hmm. holders to hold the pins in and shit like that. Well, yeah. and still squeaky as all get out. They are squeaky, but I mean they're the go-to if you're hauling moose. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know of anybody who you know who would say much different, especially the guides and a lot of the guides that use them in Alaska. It, it's just bomber. You know, you throw a hind quarter on there, you have something to lash to. Um, it just, it's just a different animal than this, you know. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started but as far as the sewing portion. And then. So you bought a sewing machine or you're doing it by Yeah, hand? no, huh? no. I, I bought a sewing machine. And it, that that was quite the learning curve in and of itself because you get what you pay for. You know, the first one I had was garbage and you just fought it. Fought what it kind all is time. that right there? That's a Juki. Are singers good? My mom runs a singer. Don't be bad mouthed singer. Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> Family heirloom. Hey, when I was a little kid, my mom. When I was a little kid, my mom sold our clothes. We wore homemade clothes as little kids. That sounds like kind of Amish. Yeah, we were, not all of them. We had a lot of homemade clothes, and we hunted deer in homemade wool clothes. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, wool pants with elastic waist. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Times change, man. Um. But I had a follow-up question. So, yeah. but the, like the main singers, 
no, back to walking as far as you could and not having to make two trips out. Um, so you were just thinking like, if I make it lighter, even if it's by just a couple pounds, that will essentially just remove a whole trip? Yeah, yeah. But that, obviously, but that, okay, okay, but, but that doesn't work with just a pack. No, because right. you're you're adding with with the with a sheep head <laughs> and all the meat. You got like forty five pounds of meat. The head, it's like thank God I had eight cut an eight ounce pocket out of my pack. It doesn't matter. Go it, ahead, Yanni. No, it does. It does in the end, though. No. Okay, so it's 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 the entire. I need to let Yanni ask his question. <laughs> no, no, I did. I got it out. Yeah. I got no, it. No, it's the entire. It. It's the entire program. You know, so it's everything that you carry in the pack. It's the difference between going in on my first sheep hunt where you're at 65 pounds. That's and, what you walked in with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, there's, it's, you know, a, a sleeping bag that weighs a pound and a half more than what I have, you know, ultimately. Okay. And so you go through your entire gear list, your tent, your, you know, your stove, you get dialed in on your food. All of a sudden you're looking at 35 pounds going in. Now you're looking at 30 pounds difference coming out. And so even at my lightest weight, I was still looking in that 110 to 120 pound range of one load coming out. You add 30 pounds on that. I'm not doing it. Can't I know it, that there yeah. are guys that are do it, but it's like that. Saying, that watch your country, pennies and the dollars take care that's, of themselves. That's man. it. That's it. So, you know, at the end, when I decided I'd gone through, I'd gone through all the rest of my gear because you could, you could spend money and you could buy that. That's all you had to do is just pony up the cash and drop weight out of your pack. But once you got to the pack, you know, what, what do you mean? Time, like, like that just buy lighter, like buying like a lighter stove that yep. works good is going to cost yep. more than a big, heavy stove. That yeah. Works good. Yeah. Exactly. And so you got down to, you got down to, let's say you're doing, you got down to where you could do a nine day, 10 day hunt, 35 pounds. It, it varied. It varied. So, you, you know, you're looking at that. You're looking at two pounds of food a day. So it really depended on where you were going and what you were doing. Um, And so, you know, some of the areas you knew that there was only five days of hunting going this way out of the strip. There might be seven days going the other, might be 10 days. You know, it just all depended on the specific hunt. So the actual weight that you left the strip from, that would vary. And it would vary on objects. You might fly in with 50 pounds and then just hang a bag. Absolutely. Knowing you're going to come back. You're going to come back and you're going to go the other way. Yeah. And, and then it also depended on the country. So when you go into certain spots, you know, maybe it's tight. You know, maybe there's only one canyon that they're in there. So now you're not going to carry a four pound spotting scope because you know that you can glass most of it up with your binoculars once you get there. You, you just knew a little bit more about the program than say, you know, what we do when we just go out down the canyon here elk hunting you might be trying to look at something that's two miles away. So I, I think just the the entire program got more dialed in up there because you're going back to the same spots. So you kind of knew exactly yeah. what you needed and you'd start cutting those things out. And, you know, so that's, that's where you ended up. Yeah, no, I, I can picture that you're saying when you, uh, when you, when you were out doing that kind of stuff, you, you just mentioned this cause you mentioned spotting scopes. Um, the thing I like about sheep hunting is you can burn up the ground so quick. Yeah. Because you're looking at this like black rock or is that that rich, that Rick French made that movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Black, black shale, shale, black shale, yeah. white sheep. Yeah. He's so you don't, it's not like glass and koozie where you're like, I know I'm looking at 10 of them. I just can't find them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, is there a white thing sitting there? No, let's move. <laughs> it is. It is. But you know, 
it, it's amazing how much little things like the just the the topography and the, the little swales, the little cuts that you do uh, miss stuff. The, absolutely, and light. I mean, you get up in you get up into that kind of shale country, and you get the certain type of light in the middle of the day, and things look. Rocks look lighter. Everything looks lighter. The sheep, you know, they're laying in this dark shale. So they, you know, they don't look white like, or not all of them look white like this. You know, they're more of a dirty. So you would think that they'd be super easy to find, but, you know, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're standing in the middle of a great big green patch and they just stand out from miles away. Sometimes you're right on top of them. The worst thing that happened to us hunting sheep one time is that it snowed, which is very frustrating. We, we found sheep one time after it snowed by just, I eventually found some tracks with my spotting scope and started following the tracks with my spotting scope and eventually lost the tracks. I was like, Oh, where'd you go from there? And I realized it's, I'm staring at it. Oh man. <laughs> you know? That's and it's where like, they ended. Yeah. And it's like, not, they're not quite, they're not snow white though. They're like yellow, but yeah. it was just like, eventually the, yeah, eventually the snow melted. We were back in business from, that really, that really feels like you're like not hunting real good anymore. Yeah, when yeah. that snow happens. No, that makes it tough. It makes so, it treacherous too. What years was it that you were that you were up there doing all this? Um, I moved up there in, I guess it was '96, and then moved back in 2010. Gotcha. Yeah, back to Montana, and that's when you started making packs. Did you just quit yeah. electricianing Mm-mm. altogether? No. No, I didn't. I didn't ever quit. I think that's that's one of the keys to the business, personally. Because what do you mean? I uh, because I was able to make decisions that are best for the business, not best for me. You know, I wasn't trying to put cash in my pocket. I got you. I was able to. Just, you mean it was key that you kept having a different yeah income? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, you know, it was, a, it was a really unique decision, but I didn't have to be in a spot where I was trying to pull extra out. So my family had health insurance, and you know, especially when you're when you're smaller, and and I think it allowed, in my opinion, allowed the company to grow uh, faster. Yep. You know, opposed to it's not in my personality to try to go hit up an investor and take out hundreds of thousands of dollars and leverage everything I have. Um, not that I didn't believe in it, it was just not my personality. And I would rather, I believe that if I was building a good product, that it was going to grow itself. You know, I didn't have to shove it down anybody's throat. It's, it's, and there was the process of going along when you bring the first, you, you bring it to market, you get that feedback and you, you slowly start to make those changes that take it from a good product to an exceptional product. Yeah. And you need that time. You can't just come up with it. I mean, some people do. I, I shouldn't say it that way. I didn't. And I knew that it had room to expand and it needed to grow. Well, you know what's different about them? And I've used a bazillion packs. And I've, I've liked a bazillion packs over the years. But it's like some packs you get and you like it's just like someone's like, I'm just going to make a pack like how people make packs. My key, my secret sauce would be how I market my pack. Right. I'm just going to yeah. go take, you know, whatever people like and make a version of that and try to sell it. It's like a very different pack. Yeah. I mean, you get it and you got to mess with it for a minute. And then you go through like a day of a little bit frustrated. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no shit. That's why that's like that. And then that's a fun feeling yeah. to have over the course of a few days where you kind of go like, ah, I got it now. 
You know what I mean? Or like yeah. your body's like, no, 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 do this. And you'd be loving. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because it's like really unique features and unique designs that kind of like solve problems that you didn't know were there. But one of the biggest things is is uh, that it's like they're so like, I don't know, tidy. Is that a word you guys use in the backpack industry? <laughs> no, I think we're going to start. Like clean, yeah, like clean, tidy packs. Yeah. We were eating a real fancy dinner the other night, and I told the sommelier, remember the wine? He had all these wine descriptions. Mm-hmm. I said, you need to start describing certain wines as rough and tumble wines, mm-hmm. which yeah, he wasn't using. He was using a lot of more effeminate terminology. No. <laughs> but, uh, in one ear, out the other, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like a tidy, kind of like clean... No, no shit snagging on brush kind of pack. Well, and that's you should put that on the label. <laughs> New slogan: No bells and whistles. Yeah. No shit snagging on brush packs. Yeah. Well, what I was really hoping to do for myself was to have a pack because at the time, you know, I was hunting Alaska, I was hunting sheep, uh, doing a little bit of moose hunting up there, and then I was coming back and I was hunting Montana. Yeah, you know, when I could get the non-resident tag. You were born here? Yeah, but that was before that, unfortunately. So I was still having a draw tag at that point. Um, What what do you mean? uh, Well, they have the comeback to hunt in Montana now, so you can But that's only good for one year, right? That's a good question. I don't know because I wasn't ever in that. Because I think there's like two different kinds. Like one was just if you were – I can't remember how they work, but – Anyways, they didn't have that program. So yeah, they didn't have that program. Yeah. So long story short, I was looking for, I was just looking to build a pack that I could use everywhere. And, you know, the same thing. If I was going hiking, if I, you know, whatever it might be. So I could pack in all my gear, just like you said, take it down, make it tidy, and be able to day hunt out of it, still pull my bow, keep a tight, you know, tight footprint on your back, and just try to hit that middle ground so that you always had it on. Cause I, I didn't ever take my pack off, you know, whether yeah. I was, whether I was packing all my stuff in or whether I was actually hunting, um, I always had it on. So I wanted to be functional. I wanted to be narrow on the back so you could move. Didn't want it to be noisy. And just like you said, tidy, That'd but then, it. but then you can blow it up, but then you can blow it up. I always have people be like, I don't understand what you always got in that pack. I'm like, a lot of times there's nothing in that pack. But I'm not going to get something and then go on some hell hike back to go get my pack and then hike all the way back up again to go fetch it. That's it. I'm just going to have it with me. Yep. Yep. And if you have an empty pack, you know, and say you're hunting elk, you can, you know, you can get a lot out if you have your, if you your have your first, frame with you because your you're empty. run, man. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's I mean, why more and more of the packs I like are the kinds that like have a lot of space that actually blow up big, but the key is making it that once you tuck it all into itself and cinch everything down, it's like you basically got like a board on your back almost. Yep. But it can blow out and be like a gigantic hauling apparatus. Yep. And that's the thing too about packs is uh, I kind of always tell my, because you know what you used to get in situations where you're going to like leave your pack for a minute. Yeah, I just, I never leave a You thing. know an apocalypse now? Never get out of the boat? No. And I'm like, never leave your pack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People never. are like, they get to where they're going to, like, yeah, I think we're going to make a shot from the ridge. So let's just all leave our packs. I'm like, yeah, you know what's going to happen then? You're going to get up on the ridge. You're going to, like, shoot. It's going to, you're going to wing it. It's going to run off. You're going to run over the next ridge to see what's going on. You're going to see it go over the next ridge. And next thing you know, it's been dark for three hours. You don't know where you're at. No clue where your pack is. No. That's it. So and it's like, I do, I now, every time I think, like, yeah, I'll leave my pack. I'm like, no, you will not leave your pack. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're not gaining much. And it, even if you're carrying all your gear. So now if you're at 35 pounds, you know, minus rifle weight, plus or minus, if you always have that with you, you hunt right to dark, you kick out a flat spot, you go to sleep and you wake up and you go. When you compare that to trying to go back to camp, get back into a spot, trying to figure out where you're at, hiking in the dark, all that other shit, man, you're just way ahead of the game, in my opinion. That, and that's what I always try to do. I'm not going to say it always happens, you know, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But typically on longer hunts, it's everything goes with you every step. And then, you know, you can back out and throw camp up. Yeah. But I don't know if I've ever seen somebody leave their pack behind and have it work out to their back. <laughs> I'd be right. real glad. Countless times I've seen, and myself included, dropping packs. Not once. I can't think of one time. It was like, oh, thank God. I've yeah. even like, thank God I didn't bring my backpack. I've even taken mine off and then like got away from it and then like thought about it, took a waypoint. You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah, never leave your pack. Never leave your pack. So, did I already mention you guys both killed a thing in an unlimited unit? I want to explain this now. Earlier, I called Pete and said, hey, add up how many bighorn tags there are. How, okay, state of Montana. How many bighorn tags are available in the state of Montana? Lottery tags. Okay, yeah, that's where we're going to start. We're starting with okay, I'm going to start even more basic than this. Okay, This is for New Jersey cat ladies, so they can understand what we're talking about. Now, <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's, uh, this is a, this, I'm going I'm to trim this up a little bit and say there's three types of hunting tags. Yanni, jump in. When you don't like something, I'm going to say because I'm trying to simplify it without two 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 types might be the most simple way to explain. No, I'm going to throw in governor's uh, tags. Okay, okay, okay. So you got there's a the thing we call over the counter tags, OTC tags. It's a kind of tag where if you're hunting deer in Wisconsin, Michigan, wherever, and you can go down to the gas station and buy a license. Anybody, anybody, anytime. You just go in, you buy your deer license. In that situation. The resource is strong enough to meet all of the demand, all of the demand on the resource. There's no restriction on allocation of opportunity. Anyone who wants to go can go. When you get a population of animals that has more demand than supply, you need to limit how many people are going to get an opportunity to hunt. And you do this by having what we call limited draw tags, lottery tags. And what they do is they find a democratic way to allocate the tags to all the people who wish they could go. And it generally works that you fill out an application and send in a little bit of money or sometimes a lot of money. The state um, does a drawing, pulls names out of the hat, and then they hand out tags. And some tags are lottery draws. And it's like, if you fill out your materials, you'll probably get it. Right, you, you you know you could be you could be almost guaranteed to get it because there's 100 of them available, and in most years, only 95 guys apply. So they're limiting, but it's easy to draw. The third kind of tag is like I'm going to do the third kind A and the third kind B. The third kind A <laughs> is what's called so simple. No, it never mind. So much the sense. third kind of tag is <laughs> awarded not democratically, but it's awarded to a highest bidder. Okay. And there's very few of those in the country. 
the reason I bring that kind up, and that's a thing that there's a thing called landowner tags. I am doing A and B. Three <laughs> A is a landowner tag where a guy owns a big ass chunk of land and it provides core vital habitat. And so the state rewards this individual for providing good wildlife habitat by giving him some tags that he can do with as he wishes. And he can sell them, use them, give them to his nephew. 3B is a governor's tag that's sold to the general public highest bidder. Is everybody cool with this? Yeah, it makes good sense. You want to do it, But where can you hunt with the governor's tag? Statewide permit. Okay. Governor's tags, what's the, what makes governor's tags so valuable is that many of them, you can hunt all year anywhere that they issue tags. What do you mean all year? There's some governor's tags. 12 month season. 12, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like you buy the Arizona governor's tag. What? Because here's the thing. I mean, there's with, just with one. sheep, it doesn't matter because he doesn't shed his horns. Yeah. He's not like, you know, so you could feasibly... Hunt them when you can hunt when no one's hunting with sheep. It's cheaper if you draw like the, if you get the governor's tag, elk tag, you're not going to go in May and shoot some bull right. with six inch yeah, yeah. velvet stub sticking out of the top of his head. Right. But with sheep, it's like, why not? So they, they sweeten it up by letting you hunt year round and they sweeten it up by uh, you telling him to get rid of that gun. I'm telling him to get rid of his gun. I think you're right. I wasn't <laughs> popping it. I wasn't out. He handed you see. He handed me gum. He was like, "Oh, you want some gum?" I was like, "No, dude. I don't want. I don't want some gum. I want you to take your gum out." So, uh, where was I? We're talking about governor's tag. So you said yeah. any month of so the year. So a governor's tag, but yet, but so you can hunt anywhere in the state, but you can't hunt anywhere in the state. You can hunt anywhere in the state that hunting for that species is allowed in some form or another. Sure. Yeah. I mean that makes sense. Yeah. It's right. Like so it's not like you go hunt backyard. Yellowstone, right, or Glacier, right, yeah. because you got a governor's tag. Yeah. Now, the, the highest selling governor's tag in the country happens to be in Montana. Correct. And every year it goes, it always makes the news. Oftentimes it goes to a guy who owns a chain of sandwich shops. Sandwich shops. What? He likes, yeah. A, yeah. No. a man with a chain of sandwich shops likes to buy the governor's tags. <laughs> the guy that owns Jimmy John's, right? The same guy. It's the same guy. He bought, he's bought it a handful oh. of times. He's bought uh, he's bought it some number. Wait, of is times. it limited to just Montana residents? No, 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 no. no. Oh, I don't anyone? think a Montana resident has ever bought the Montana governor's. Oh, tag. okay. Oh, what a bummer. And uh, it, it, it's always in the vicinity of between over three hundred thousand dollars. Every year is a little different, um, but I think between yeah two to five hundred thousand dollars. So with that kind of like timeline, what's the percentage of that person? Like, um, what's their success rate? Well, these guys are these guys. Yeah, they're not hunting them though. They're trigger men. Oh, when a guy buys the governor tag, what he does is he hires a whole posse. He hires a posse of of eager young fellers who go out and scour. In this state, they scour the Missouri breaks. So, the biggest Rocky Mountain bighorns in the world. This is the generalization, but it's generally true. The biggest Rocky Mountain bighorns in the world come out of the Missouri breaks. There's some tankers in Alberta. What's that area in Alberta? The mine. Cataman. Cataman mine. But big, big ass. You ever like, yeah, just 
Stand, if you stand behind a bighorn, look at the way the scroll. I was going to ask you yeah. because it's we had a video on YouTube of old, you telling old, Joe Rogan about like how big those volleyball. Yeah. Hanging way below its <laughs> what, belly line. What I tossed you in the garage the other day, honest. <laughs> yeah, I was picking up meat for the cookbook shoot that we're actually in town doing. This is from great. Pete. And uh, he's like, hey, do you have any use for these? And he throws me a, a set of frozen cheap <laughs> yeah, testicles. You need to make an extra big pack for packing those out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the governor's tag. Now, when a, gov- when a dude buys a governor's tag, this guy, generally, like you're a trigger man. The guys that buy those are trigger men. They don't have time, right? They're not going to go out and spend their whole summer out sweating. But what's their ass ironic off. is that they have all of the time in the world. No, they're not pro- here. Not here. They, they, that's the difference. In Montana, you have to hunt within the 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 rate. Well, yeah, the, some, the draw like I said, season. Some seasons. Every state ours, handles their governor's tags. Ours is in the general oh, okay. hunting season, that's just true. like everybody else who would draw the okay. tag. But yeah. other states, it's twelve months. Of yeah. The year. Basically, what they get here is they get to hunt any unit. So, um, and actually, I don't believe that there, there's in any area here that they can hunt that there isn't already. Uh, I've a never heard. Tag uh, yeah, I've never heard of. They don't have exclusive access. No, they don't have exclusive access. So, what's access. the incentive? I you can go to the can, Missouri River yeah. Bridge. Oh, okay. You can go anywhere you want, and you can go to places that might only have that might only otherwise give out one tag. Oh, but yeah. what? So, I mean, okay, that, so, oftentimes a guy will buy a governor's tag. Because he already knows what he's going to be going after. Sure. Correct. Because they'll get 10, 20, whatever. They'll hire glassers who will go out to the areas that everyone knows holds big bighorns. And these guys are like, these are real woodsmen. Those are the guys hunting the ram. Mm-hmm. And they'll put together a dossier <laughs> on every sheep they can find in the unit. And the guy will peruse the dossier. Come on. <laughs> the detail of this Dude, kind of stuff would blow your mind. This is insane. I'm, I'm giving you the version that doesn't make people that angry. So, But so the incentive, like long story short, the incentive is that they spend a lot of money and then it goes back into conservation, right? Yes. Okay. Therein lies the rub. So, okay. I wasn't getting all this Sorry. shit. Now I'm going to get in a little more. Uh, okay. In 1842, <laughs> let's back up. In 1842, Martin versus Waddell was a Supreme Court decision. And it was a Supreme Court decision that settled a dispute between an oysterman, a commercial oyster harvester mm-hmm. in the New Jersey Meadowlands, and a landowner who traced his ownership of the land to a land grant made by King George II to the Duke of Earl, I believe. <laughs> and when King George II gave this land to the Duke of Earl, who passed it along down the line to him, he gave him the land, and with the land came all the fishings, huntings, hawkings, and fowlings. Hmm. Because in Europe, when you own the land, you own the animals. Right. Okay? Now, a guy's out picking oysters. The guy says, you can't pick oysters. I own the oysters because I own the land up against the water where you're picking oysters. Mm. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decides. They say this. They say, because we have the Declaration of Independence, and the Declaration of Independence <clears throat> stripped all of the rights of the sovereign, stripped all of the rights of the king, and gave it to the people. So by virtue of the Declaration of Independence, we are deciding that the animals in this country belong to the people. They do not belong to the king. Mm -hmm. And the animals will be administered on the people's behalf 
by their state. And it was meant to be that we had a system of the democratic allocation of wildlife. Governor's tags are a perversion of the democratic allocation of wildlife because you're selling it to the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. Lottery draws are democratic. Right. Put your name in the hat. Everyone's got the same chance. Mm -hmm. However, here's where it's the kind of thing where I don't agree or disagree because 90% of that money is spent on the ground. Right. For bighorn conservation. And bighorns are absent. Like we've done a lot for recovery. We haven't even scratched the surface on putting bighorns back where they belong. Like elk are 90% absent from their historic range in this country. Mm -hmm. You would never get that because it seems like elk are everywhere. They're not. There used to be elk in Michigan, you know, and I mean, there's some number, but they used to, like, if you looked at elk distribution in this country at the time of European contact, it's the whole damn country, almost. Right. So there's a lot of work to be done on bighorns, and it's a big-ass chunk of money every year. That's fair. Maybe it's not fair. It's a very, very hot topic. Hot, contentious topic, and both sides are right. Which means they're both both wrong. (laughs) One of my first years guiding in Arizona. I can't remember. I think I was still scouting because you know, I didn't have the client with me. But I was going to hit, hit this spot up that was like two hours almost from where I was staying via truck and then um, like uh, side by side because the road was so rough, right? So I'd get up, trailer like 30 minutes, get to a rough road, pull up side by side, and then run another hour and a half in the dark, try to get to this spot at daylight to see who was hanging around. Sheep. So, uh, no, uh, elk. Elk. I think I was just going to check a water hole. You're a guy. Uh, yeah. As I'm kind of closing in on the spot where I'm supposed to be. Can I interrupt I'm like, you? Huh? Yeah. You already have. Down in this area. No, mm-hmm. I, can you add this on to your story? Yeah. The, down in this area, you could take a bucket of water and dump it out on a road and a bull would come out and wallow in it. <laughs> yes. Sometimes. Tell that story. <laughs> add it in somehow. Weave yeah. it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if they've ever actually made a wall, but I think that they had seen spots where there was like old tracks, maybe like the remnants of some wallowing in a road, like in an old dried oh, up mud pit. Yeah. And they said, huh, I wonder what would happen. If we re Yeah, we just, they happened to have whatever, you know, it was 50 gallons of water in the truck for whatever reason, probably to fill up the trailer. And they dropped six gallons into this mud hole and put a trail cam up in the tree. And came back 24 hours later, and sure enough, there's, a bull, back a, there's a bull rolling in it. <laughs> it's a dry place. That was a good job. You weaved, it, you weaved it right in. So continue. But yeah, I'm buzzing down the road, two hours, you know, th- through the darkness, and uh, trying to look at my GPS, make sure I'm in the right spot, getting ready to start hiking. And uh, I kind of see like the flash of like where my lights might hit some other like tail lights or something as I'm kind of getting close to where I'm getting to park. And I think I had to park. Maybe it was like the end of the road or. I forget what the reason was why you had to stop there. But anyways, I'm pulling in and I come like around one more corner and all of a sudden I can see that there are trucks there, you know, and there's some people and they're awake too. It must be hunters. I mean, those the only reason people would be out there, you know, awake at that time of morning. And as I pull up, it's like the whole camp is like, who's that? You know, and they turn and I must've seen 20 headlamps turn in my direction <laughs> and they're just shining up all these trucks. And I'm like, holy shit. And I kind of got scared. Cause I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you guys all out here? In the I was like, it's a big, it's a giant kegger. It's a party. And uh, so I just kind of kept rolling, went on, did my scouting. And then later it didn't take long, you know, through who I was with, you know, there was some texting and phone calls and they're like, yeah, do you guys have a guy down here this morning? 
morning and they're like, yeah, we've been on a big bull and we've got 70 trail cameras out. Um, you know, we got the guy coming in tomorrow and I was like, all right, I'm not going to hang out here any longer, but uh, it was a governor's tag. Yeah. Wow. Governor's tag. But yeah, I mean, so, I'm not kidding. It was like 20 headlamps all turned insane. at once. Like, who's rolling in here on our spot on this big bowl that we've been looking for? So then what kind of tips do you think that those guides get? For uh, you guys might How well do you guys know about this stuff? Can you I fill can. in some of the details on the dudes that find the rams for the governor's tag guys? Have you been involved in that? Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't. Um, Does that interest you? Uh, but, no, not not necessarily, but but not because... I have anything against it. Uh, there's just, you know, I'd rather be scouting for myself. To be yeah, perfectly honest with you. Yeah. So, um, now it, when you say you have nothing against it, what do you mean? I mean, I don't have anything against it, but what do you mean by that? Well, I do you think, think it there is, is something to it, be against it? It, it no, no, I, I personally don't. No, I think that it's a hot topic. You know, it's interesting because you mean just for the know, reasons we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Some people don't like the idea that that you can just go buy what 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 somebody else has to put in for, but. You have the chance to go buy it. I have the chance to go buy it. You know, I could mortgage my house. I could do, you know, any of those things and throw my name in the hat if it was that important to me. So, you know, the Paul, fairness you're saying, of it. You're saying you would mortgage yeah, your house to buy the governor's tax. <laughs> <laughs> that is you could absolutely do that. not what Careful. I was saying. You gotta be like, you gotta be like, wait till your wife's in a super good mood for that shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what yeah. kind yeah. of thing you know, you'd have thinking to about. Yeah, sweetheart, I was talking about something. <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, we're all free. We're all free to raise our hand at those auctions. Yeah. So I'm um, with you. I'm with you. So it, yeah, and and I yeah, I see both sides of it, and it's different, you know. I, um, but if someone and, said like, hey, you like to, you're good at finding cheap. Would you like to do some scouting for me? You just uh, wouldn't. I don't have time. I don't have time to go scout for myself these days, you know. So I, it, it's it maybe it's just a different spot that you're in. Mm-hmm. I I've never never no, been approached I'm, I'm to it. I'm not. But we do um, have several close friends that have been involved yeah, in that process. Yep, yep, for sure. And you know, you you hear you hear all different types of stories. You know, like you know, I was saying with the, you know, 10, 12 guys. Uh, the guys I know have been involved are, you know, a couple of guys out there busting their ass to do scouting. Year round. Year round. Well, I wouldn't say year round. You know, they're typically not in those areas in the winters, but, you know, gotcha. throughout the summers and, and yeah, I mean, so somebody pays for it at the end. No, somebody's saying, paying those for them are, those to be are the there. Woodsman, though, man, they, oh, yeah. they are. They, they are. Those the are like woodsman. the crack command. Those are the crack commando hunters. Yeah, yeah. There's no woods are. in the Missouri River breaks. Yeah, there's the brakesmen. There's a little timber. They're brakesmen. They're plainsmen. You know, and you look at the history of the Montana governor tag. You know, historically they weren't up here hunting the brakes. You know, back in the late or in the early and mid '90s, they were hunting perma paradise and they were hunting rock. Oh, were they really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like that's Sherwin Scott, and oh yeah, those guys. And I want to say it's Sherwin Scott, but I, I might have it wrong. There was there was a guy who bought it two years in a row, chasing one ram, or as the story goes, um, somewhere in that '90s time frame, uh, out of Perma Paradise or one of those units. It, I mean, it's a true mountain hunt. It's uh, and you know, I mean, they're in the timber. That yeah. So so. You know, you have to take it all with a grain of salt because it's, 
Hunt, you know, do you feel that, did, I, did I paint an unfair portrait of it? Oh. No, no, absolutely just not. Take, take me to task if you no, feel no. like I just if <laughs> no, you feel no. like I described it the wrong way. No, no, absolutely not. Because, but I will say, in my opinion, I think that it, there's a vast difference between a governor tag in Montana with the guys I know that have been involved in the work and all the rest of it in comparison to what you might describe, where you have a 12 month season. Um, you know, in one of these other states, and a bull gets shot in August when there isn't even a hunting season. So yeah. th- those are two different animals. Well, well, yeah, what, whether one's right or whether one's wrong, I'm not saying. But those are that, that's that's a different, that's a different yeah. deal because Yanni's these guys, buddies do some of the governor's sheep desert sheep tags. Yeah, down yeah. in Arizona, and these are some dudes that like to be out. They like to be out in the wood or not. The, they like to be out in the desert, and they like to be out in the desert for months on end. And they like to yeah. look through binoculars. That's what these guys like to do. Yeah. And they're they they're the ones that are hunting those sheep. So Steve, if it's somebody- just like the guy that that's one point I'm not gonna let you change my mind about. <laughs> not that you're trying to change my mind or anything. Like those are the people that hunted the sheep. For sure. Every and now so- and then though, I bet you must get somebody that actually wants to hunt on their own and doesn't let oh, sure. some other guys do the legwork, right? Yeah, there's a good friend of our, Lorenzo from Go Hunt has the Idaho Bighorn governor's tag this year, and he's going DIY. Nice. Really? Nice. Yes. He's going to Hell's Canyon all on his own. Really? Yep. On the governor's tag. Coolest guy ever. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Steve, if someone paid you to go scout for them for the governor's tag, would you do it? I Listen, man. Uh, at the time that I would have been, at, the, at a time, absolutely, but I wouldn't have been qualified. Like at the time that I would have jumped at the opportunity, I wouldn't have been not that I'm qualified now. I could make like some sort of argument now that I would be that I would be able to to go scrape up some sheep and maybe find some sheep in a place that people hadn't known they were there, or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I like to wander around, and look through binoculars. Um, but yeah, at a time I would have jumped at it, but I would have been a shitty hire. <laughs> right? Fair enough. They'd have later been like, I don't know why I get I do that yeah. job. <laughs> um, camping up there at his girlfriend some van so uh um no so anyhow that's that's uh 3b sport dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry born in 2003 in knoxville tennessee sport dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs the sport dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it every product sport dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter now i've got two good buddies with what i would call really really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more Hey, heads up all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. After building custom fly rods for more than 25 years, 
Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana casting company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Okay. How many, okay. Drawing, so, so the governor's tag. You buy that for a whole shitload of money and you get to go hunt. Right. If you want to draw a tag in the vicinity where governor's tag holders like to hunt, meaning the best units in the country, you have about a percent of a percent. Yeah, it's about one in a thousand. Is it less than that? Is yeah. it like a breaks tag? Yeah. Uh, you know, we'd have to look up. I can tell you that I've been putting in for 15 years and I haven't drawn it yet. Oh yeah, you you are yeah, less than two hundred to go. You are less than one. Nineteen. I've been putting in for nineteen years. They've been doing bonus points for fourteen or whatever the hell yep. it is. Yeah, it's right in the back of the regs. You can look it up for each yeah. unit. But I, you know, I want to say a lot of them are in that you know four tenths of a percent or five tenths. But if you draw, and, and some tags get better, like you know. I'll, we're just talking about Rams too, because you can draw a U tag. Like my old girlfriend drew a U tag first year she ever applied. But we're talking about Rams. There are some units that have slightly better odds, and those are, tend to be units um, that don't grow big ass Rams. When you but say even good odds is shitty odds. Good odds. What we're referring to is a three to five percent draw. I don't think there's such thing. I, as I don't. 5%. There's no, I don't no such think thing as three to percent. Two to three percent draw on some years. That would be the best odds you could find in Montana. And. Chasing the and that would be like extremely good odds. And when those odds come up, it's usually because a weird fluke happened. So like a bunch of attention focuses somewhere else. Everyone then looks and goes like, "Oh wow!" Now that the results came out, I see that last year you had a two percent chance of drawing 
in this unit. I'm going to try that next year. And that's like, yeah, you and every other dude in the world is going to see that. And then you're all going to pounce on that unit. And then the next year you're going to look and that unit had a 0.5% chance of drawing. Right. Because everybody saw that it was a 2%. So you're not, long and short of it is, you're not going to draw a bighorn tag. My brother drew a bighorn tag. Very good. Um, this year? No, no, no. A few years ago. A lot of years ago. We had fun though, man. We had a great time. He drew down at uh, um, just outside of uh, Gardner. Oh, very good. There's an unlimited unit across the road. Oh, yep. yeah. Yep. But he drew the like, Cinnabar Mountain there. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was fun. So, anyhow, uh, so there's that. You're not going to draw one. If you do draw one, you're going to get a ramp, right? Yeah. Well, if you show up and put in some time, you'll kill a ramp. What was it, 119 tags? Yeah, I, and I don't know if we uh, missed a unit on there, but it was just looking it up beforehand. Uh, 97% success rate. And wow. so in this, this – is, This is off of – it, this is off of just the tags issued. Yeah. So, so this, that, that's not even assuming everybody hunted. I would. Yeah, this state has a shitload of relative to all other states. Like this state has a shitload of tags. They gave out 100 plus tags. Yeah, yeah I think, it, well, this this has it at 119. But I, I would say it's there within a couple of them. Does it say how many mugs applied for 119 tags? Mm, no. Well, it'd have to I, be it, times 100, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, or more. So... If you draw, you're going to have a high-quality sheep hunt. And if you put in your time, like you will kill sheep. Yep. But the, now keep in mind, all this shit has nothing to do with anything. We're just laying the groundwork for <laughs> what I want to talk about. There are a couple spots where there's a different system in place. And these are the famed, in, in some circles, these are the famed unlimited units. And they're very remote areas in Montana where any where it's over the counter, where any time kind of over the counter, you got to put in, you got to fill out an application and send it in. But anyone that wants can go try to get the sheep. Guaranteed draw, yeah. Guaranteed draw. You fill in your application, you can hunt sheep. Is there a deadline? Yes. Yeah. There's an application deadline. You sign me up. <laughs> May one. Oh, next okay. year. It's an unlimited unit. <laughs> By May one, you send in your thing, you can go. And these are the most not the most. Yeah, like borderline the most rugged areas in the state. Oh, yeah, I would argue easy. outside of the state. I mean, there's some of the burlier stuff in the lower forty eight. Nasty yeah. shit. What they do to what they do to protect the herd is they put a mortality quota down where they're like anybody that wants can come hunt but once you boys kill what two two once two get killed it's over it's over yeah so you got to be calling Just two because that's what the, if it was a draw hunt they'd be given per two. unit per unit yeah. so there's there's five five year. unlimited units so five ten unlimited. tags total well, 10 sheep can get killed. Yep. And what's the cutoff? Because I remember like with bears and, and units like that, it used to be like 72 hours. 48-hour buffer period. Yeah. So you got to carry a sap. I, f- I feel like, yeah, and I feel like uh, one of them is shorter than that. I think that, that one out of Gardner is 24. But, yeah. How often um, does it go over, though? Uh, pretty rarely. Yeah. Uh, every year is a little different. You hear about it happening more back in the day. I've yeah. heard a lot of stories of, you know, in the 90s. Before satellite communications or what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because people wouldn't get word. 
Yeah. Yeah. And in some of the unlimited units, uh, what makes them tricky is that the sheep aren't even there. Correct. Until the weather turns bad. Yep. So mm-hmm. you could have the whole season pass and the weather never gets shitty enough and the sheep. Like when we, when my brother drew a bighorn tag, we we're hunting sheep that are coming off lightning peak. And you could hunt on opening day, you could go there and cover every square inch of the unit, but they're literally like, there are not sheep in the unit. Correct. And then one day, there are sheep in the unit because they migrate down into the unit, and mm-hmm. then you go down there, and there they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the unlimited units are like that. But on the unlimited units they have, or they have a mortality of two, there's some years that no one gets the two. Oh, absolutely. It's it's very regular. So I mean, last that year... That the quota never gets met. Correct. Wow. Last yeah, year... common. Common. Yeah. Common. Yeah, the last year... 502 didn't, 500 didn't, 300 didn't is what these specs say. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, half of them. And, and I think that that's pretty normal. That's pretty normal that half of them won't. Fill out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you have to take into consideration that the season opens September 15th. There's no weapons restrictions. So, you know, most people are hunting with a rifle and goes until the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So what is it, two and a half months? And and unlimited numbers of people go in there, and they numbers. can't scrape up two ramps. Yeah, they that's, sold 299 unlimited tags last year. Yeah, that's what the specs say. So, did you you got one last year? Yeah. Right. 299. That's it. I'm surprised that it's that low. Yeah. How many sheep got killed? Eight. Eight. So the success rate was uh, 2.67%. So 2.67% of the guys that throw in on the unlimited get, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it's, and that's, that's pretty standard. Um, I, you know, th- those numbers aren't That's not skewed. Of, yeah, that's a normal no, year. Th- that's, that's a normal year. And, you so, know, and take all of these with a grain of salt because, you, you know, you, you pull these off the fishing game website. So if there's, if we're off a tenth of percent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now... What year did you do this? 2010. Did you try a lot of years before you got one? Two years. Did you guys get yours? Did you have you both gotten yours in the same location? No. Um, different if, units. Yeah. Mm. Eh. Yep. All right. So tell me what happened. Like, what, like, give me the rundown of what happened when you did it. Your first um, year. Start with your first trip. Oh yeah. Well, uh, my first year, I had just got done hunting Alaska, and. Um, I took a ram up there, and, uh, and I was a non-resident. I wasn't a resident in Montana at that time, so I bought the I bought the the over-the-counter non-resident tag for the unlimited units, and I came down. And you mean you were a non-resident in Montana? I was non-resident in Montana, yeah. yeah, at that time. And uh, you know, I I came down and and just gave it everything I had. So you just flew down to Montana. With, yep. your, with your fucked up backpack that you made yourself on a, on a, soul, on a soul machine. That's exactly what it was. And yeah. struck off into the mountains. Yeah, struck off into the mountains. And, you know, it was an Were interesting you by yourself? Story. Yeah. Yeah, it, but it was an interesting story because it was uh, it was before, I don't know, it was a few days before the season started. And Like you're trying in, to get on one. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the more I learn about it, there, that rarely happens. Really? Because I mean, you sure hear about it. Yeah, but... It, it's kind of like you hear the same stories where you have to be there opening day and be on a ram or you'll never fill it. Well, I mean, this, the, the, the data tells you that that's just not the case. So 
but regardless, so I'm standing in the parking lot and I'm getting all my stuff together and I'm at this trailhead and there's a guy kind of getting his stuff together. I don't know if he's hiking or what he's doing, but then all of a sudden a, a rifle case comes out and we're starting from the same trailhead and there's only, you know, there aren't a ton of them throughout, you know, these units cause you're going into the wilderness. And so I figured, well, I'm going to go talk to him. Wilderness with a capital W like yeah, it's, federally designated wilderness. Yes. Yeah. Bear tooth wilderness. Yeah. Yep. And so I just said, well, I better go chat with this guy. It's like weird and awkward. Yeah. Four days in, you take different routes and you're, both standing on the same mountain so yeah i went in and talked to him he was a really nice guy and he said yeah this is my seventh year of doing this and i was like man that's <laughs> that's awesome you got some stamina on this so in the back of my head i'm thinking and he had never he killed, must, he hadn't killed one yet. no he hadn't killed one he must be a terrible hunter no, no <laughs> you know you know well it's like kind of quizzing how long do you go in for he's oh six seven days you know uh, each time and 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 so I'm thinking, he must be looking for something pretty special. So I asked him, I said, well, you know, how many, how many Lego Rams you ever seen? You know, do you pass over some? I'm trying to get some information. Yeah. Something that had, you know, boot leather so, on the but ground. What, okay, and he says, can I back never, you up? Like, why yeah. did you want to come do this? Um, had you read about it? Well, I grew up here, you know, so I had always known stories about it. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, it just wasn't as compelling because I grew up in the western part of the state at the time when, that's where all the governor tags were coming out of. I mean, they're shooting 190 plus rams out of multiple units out of the West. And you weren't going to take your name out of that hat because the odds back then were, you know, were better than they are now. I'm not going to say what they were. I, I don't remember, you. but you were you like, felt gonna, like you I'm had a go, chance. Yeah. Right? I'm going to go for one of the sweet yeah. unit. Yeah. And, and they were right out your back door. You know, we go and take pictures of them during the winter. So you had this, you had this kind of attachment to it, opposed to driving halfway across the state into, Total unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I was talking to the guy and I was asking him, you know, how many legal rams he, he had seen. And he said, I've never seen one. <laughs> and wow. so, you know, then I like, shook his hand and good luck. I said, well, I'm going to go this way if you're going that way. And kind of walked back to my truck and was thinking, well, <laughs> what do I do now? You know, this, <laughs> this dude sounds like he's put some time in here. And, and it was pretty much the way my trip went. You know, I, I covered a lot of miles back in. I, I don't know, spent five or six days. Had someone laid some uh, waypoint? As, this might have been pre-waypoint, no. but did someone lay some like, hey, check here, check here, check there? No, because I didn't, at the time, I didn't know anybody who had ever hunted it. I've never, you know, I'd never talked to anybody. I, Yeah, I didn't have any information. And yeah. it was before these days where information's I, out there. Yeah, and misinformation. <laughs> you know, a lot of misinformation, which is kind of one of the reasons, you know, that we're, we're talking about specifically what it is, because I've fielded a few questions on that. And um, but, yeah, I went in, uh, went in and I didn't turn up a sheep, and a sheep, a sheep. Yeah, I'm not I'm not certain. That I were you seeing fresh tracks. were you seeing sheep trails carved into the screen? Oh, yeah. Slides yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. You can so you see feel like you're in a spot where they at oh, least definitely. some time yeah, of the year they're there. Yep. Yep. You see sign. You see sign. But. You know, you kind of walk out of there. How many days did you do it? I, I'm trying five or six days. It wasn't super long, and um, and then I had to go back to Alaska. So, you know, after after that, though, it was a very were humbling. At, were, experience. at that point in time, were you like, I'm going to be like a sheep guy, like I'm going to be like a sheep dude who hunts sheep? <laughs> um, I not necessarily. I think it was just something that was really really enjoyable and i knew that within the next few years that we were going to be moving back to montana so laying some ground yeah yeah my 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 time in alaska was limited and so i was looking for other opportunities and had the time and thought well i'm gonna 
you know, go start to get my feet wet. Yeah. And, but then after that, I, I found out <laughs> you're going to have to figure out a lot more than this. Or this ever, is what it's going to be. Did you it's ever hear from that dude from the trailhead? No, no, uh, no, 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 I didn't. But the sea, it didn't get closed and there wasn't a ram taking the it first never part. It got closed. No, not that season, if I remember right. And um, no, it didn't. How it, many rams are in there? Ah, that's, that's a, I don't know. I mean, if they're killing two, there's got to be like a, there's got to be a substantial number of, of male, of substantial number of rams. They can't, I mean, if they are open to the idea that two are going to die. Yeah. They're very, they're very conservative with those populations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really couldn't speak yeah. to that. Uh, that. That's a tough one. And I think it's tough for everybody too, because some of it's, like you said, some of it's migratory. So you don't know what you're going to get coming into some of those units. So now you, you might be making judgments off populations that you don't have access to, exactly. except they're there during the winter. Yeah. Or, um, or maybe they're not all migrating that way. You have some of the sheep that actually don't live in the unit going the other way that might be just on the fringes of the unit. Yep. You know, you have, uh, some sheep that are, you know, quote, transplant sheep that have been transplanted by one way or another. And then you have, um, um, you know, these historical herds that have been there since whenever, you know, yep. start of time. So you have all of these different factors. And I think that's what makes it interesting is that it's not just one population. There's a lot of different things going on. And all of these units are much different when you go into them. And, um, you know, but that, that's, that's what makes it cool. But I, I think it's also, it's also, you know, notable to be able to say that it's not a free sheep, you know, it's not, no. you know, just, just because it's the only open tag. And I believe, well, I know it's the only open sheep tag in the lower 48 Canada. You don't need a guide, you know, Alaska, you need a guide. So pretty much in North America, and to my knowledge, like if you're not a resident of Alaska, if, you need a guide to hunt sheep. Yeah. 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 So, it, I mean, it's open to non-resident aliens. You can come in here from any country and buy that tag the same way. So there's really no restrictions on that portion. So it makes it a very unique thing that way. But in the same respect, it's uh, um, it's not very successful. So what so, happened the second time you went? Uh, the second time I went, I... Did you come in with a new attitude? Uh, yeah, yeah, completely different attitude. That happened. Um, yeah, I, uh, I just changed my whole program about everything that I was going to do. And it was the only thing I did. Same unit? You know, no, different unit, right next to it. And what'd you do differently? Um, I spent a lot more time glassing. I um, like up valley floors or from big glass and tits? Uh, it's it's kind of a little bit of everything, you know, yeah. because it just depends on where you can see from. Um, and it, I just tried to spend as much time as I could. That's really what it comes down to. I don't think that there's there's no trick. There's no, that's, I mean, if there was a trick, if the historical data, if the historical kill data was always accurate and guys kept going back there, there, there wouldn't be a sheep unit staying open for two and a half months. So, you know, that's, I think that's the cool thing about it is that they just do what they do and you got to figure it out that year. So, um, probably then, then that's, that's what makes the, the population sustainable, the hunt sustainable is that it almost self manages. Yeah. So what happened? So what happened? Uh, so I How went many to, days did you carve out? 
I was, I, I covered, I was going to stay in for 13. Um, I think I ended up staying in for 12, I believe, 12, 11 or 12. And so, and then it was, uh, well, it had to be an 11 because I ended up getting a ram on the 10th day. And, you know, ironically enough, as I was working through, you know, kind of my plan, how I was going to work through the different drainages that I was hunting, I'd spent a day and a half glassing this one area because it's big country uh, and it takes a lot of time to cover it. And there's a lot of timber. So it's, um, you could sit there all day and, you know, all of a sudden something appears. So you have to be very patient. And I had moved one drainage down, looked back to where I had just spent the last day and a half and there he was. And it was right at dark. And so tried to get whatever sleep I could that night and then got everything loaded in my pack well before daylight so I could make it back over to the glassing spot and try to pick him up again first thing in the morning. And I did. I made it over there, and I found him, found him that morning, and he was feeding out in this slope, pretty exposed by all by all standards, kind of where, where they were hanging out. But I knew the sun was going to be moving around on him, and so he dug a bed right there on that, right just up out of where he was he was feeding. And so I waited a, about another hour, hour and a half, and sure enough, sun came back around. As soon as the sun got on him, he picked up and went down into the timber. Oh, really? Yep. And so, so he kicked out a bed and, and didn't use it for long. No, not for long at all. Textbook sheep move. As soon as the direct sunlight got on him, he moved. Yeah, they don't like it. No. Yep. And and so then. I don't know, it was probably nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. And it took me the rest of the day to get over to the other side, got up above him, found the bed that he was in, that I had put him to bed in, and yep. he wasn't there. And this was probably not you mean not the one in the timber, but the one he the second bed. Oh, oh so you yep. saw him going to the timber and lay down. Yep, saw him yeah, going sure. to the bed and then I was able to pick that one up and so I knew he had to be in the area, but I just you know, had kept working up and down this this rock spine, trying to pick up anything, figure out where he went. And all of a sudden he just popped out in this little avalanche chute and it was about 300, 350 yards and the wind was just, the thermals were just howling. And I mean, probably blown 25, 30 and he just came out, walked straight across it. It was probably only 20 yards open. I never had a shot and he disappeared into the timber on the other side. And I just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, and it was timber kind of forever yeah. out there. There was no big opening. So do you feel like he had picked you up at that point or no? No, he was just that, no, absolutely not. But he's he not going to feed in that timber though. It's not no. like grassy in there. No, no, it's not. But there was definitely enough grass okay. that, that they can travel in the timber too, though. Oh, just go to who knows where they can yep. boogie out of a spot. Yeah. Yeah. And so I spent the rest uh, right until dark trying to find him. And I had moved down this rock spine and got my spotting scope out, and I found him, and he was bedded behind this big pine. And he had just tucked in just right. I couldn't see him until I got into the right vantage point, and there he was. And had had my one shot kind of through the one area, and I figured, well, this is, this is the only opportunity I'm going to have. So... But, you know, but it, it was a great solid rest. You're on rock, laid down, had all the time in the world, worked through it. And it, but there's a horn requirement in there. There is. Yep. Yeah. But it's I had three quarter curl. Yeah. It's, or is it a half curl? How do they, how you do know, 
it's 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 from the base and it, it, everybody should look at the regs right don't take my word for it but it's from the base of the front base of the horn through any portion of the eye back and and they write that differently depending on the unit right like some of the some of the that i don't know about don't know yeah that i'm not sure i about. mean all, I, i'm not saying from one unlimited unit but is that the same as it is for for limited units, I believe so. I think so, it so is. So they run the same all legal rounds. Yeah. yeah. So, so I always thought it was the corner the of the eye, three quarter curl. So okay. Oh, okay. So, looking so, at them sideways, yeah. gotta go seventy five percent of the way in a circle. Interesting. Yeah. And you and, and did and you had to figure that out. Yeah, you but probably from, had the, a chance. from the night before, or you saw, you know, I had I had looked enough, and as soon as I, you know, it was it was coming back up you know, coming off of that bottom and I could, I could see the horn coming back up. So that it's a pretty, was he by himself? Yeah. How do they yeah. determine that then? Cause isn't it for doll sheep? It has to be all the full way curl for dolls. Yeah. Well, there's three things like in Alaska, there's three things that make a doll legal full curl. Right. So you're looking at him on the side. He's got a 360 yeah. degree circle or you count eight annuli. So eight growth rings right. or he's broomed. Now sides. it's that he's, broken off both of his lamb tips completely mm-hmm. so but so i guess how do you determine like why is it different in one state and different in the other it does it have to do with like how old they well there, there's units in, in idaho general, that used to have horn restrictions and now they don't have horn restrictions is that just because there's more well what i heard was this and this is just like a dude who used to guide there telling me and a lot of times you don't know the motivations right like a lot of times there's rules in place and, and people have ideas about it, but without really digging into it, you don't know like why really did it beat. But a guy explained this to me and, and some of the Frank church, there's like a unit in the Frank church in Idaho that I think went no horn restrictions because I think there was some cases in which um, people were not identifying rams properly. And then due to the remoteness of the area, felt that rather than going in reporting, they just kept hunting. Hmm. So they, to, to take that, to, to remove the obligation of a person have to make, a person who's maybe never hunted sheep before, maybe not, never hunt sheep again, without putting in a situation where they need to be able to judge the legality of that ram, they got rid of that requirement in that area and they just said it's just up to the hunter's discretion, you're allowed a ram. And, and not made it to where people – I one time – we were sitting and checking a ram. Were you there? Mm-mm. We were checking a doll ram in Alaska one time. And while I was there, I saw three illegal rams. I got there, and there was a guy checking an illegal ram, not knowing it was illegal. There was an illegal ram sitting there that they had just confiscated from a guy. Oh. And a warden came in with another illegal ram that he had just taken from a guy that was trying to hide it from him. So I saw four rams during my visit, mine being one of them, and the other three were people bringing rams in and them saying, I'm sorry, that's not full curl. Hmm. I had a friend one time that had one held and he got it back. And in the end, they said, it's 15 sixteenths curl. We'll let you keep it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Listen, there is nothing more stressful in life. I'm talking even when your wife... Like her water breaks. There's <laughs> nothing more stressful in life than the minutes that pass between you touching that trigger on a sheet uh, and you getting up, up to, to that sheet. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't oh, matter man. how much you look. It's just like it's not yeah. fun. Uh, huh. 
Huh. Half curlers. Legal. No. Three quarter. I'm sorry, what am I saying? Three quarter. Three quarter curl legal. So he's, cl- I'm looking at the sheep right now. By himself. Yep, by himself. So if he wouldn't have shown up, or if you had just not looked there. I might still be hunting him. <laughs> so have you ever gone back? Have you done it again? No. Well, you're out for seven years. So I Once get, you kill. Oh, yeah, really? So I get, I get my tag back next year. So you never get oh. to really get that good at it. Yeah. You just there, go there, there's, there's a few guys who have. You got um, yeah. good at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, oh, yeah. yeah I, got, I was read a book about, there's like a book about the unlimited units. Mm-hmm. Or no, there's a book about bighorns. There's a big section in it about the unlimited units. And yeah. there's some guys who are kind of like, had like some legendary status. They'd got two. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. There are people that'll it. go for a hat trick, try to get one from each district. Yeah. So now what, so what happened? You got one on your first attempt? Absolutely not. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if we got to the end of Kurt's story there. You're sitting well, on shot the sheep. Yeah, I got yeah, him. You got him. <laughs> There's more? I think the yeah. night of camping after you shot the sheep is the best part of the story. So oh, I think we happened? should hear about that. Oh. 20 rams came rolling through? No, oh. no. <laughs> no. The sheep went for a roll. Yeah, the sheep went for a roll. I ended up you know, finding it there at dark and ended up just kicking out a flat spot behind a tree. Just and, But, it, you know, it was interesting because you, you – you had focused on it for so long and I'm sure lots of people have, have experienced things like that where I couldn't sleep. You know, I, I was just you're so, you're so excited, but, but not in this excited yeah, way no, where yeah, you, yeah. where you want to like jump around and I think like, like a friend of mine said, something. not like you want publishers clearing house. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like, uh, it's just hard to take it all in. I, th- yeah. I threw up <laughs> within an hour of shooting mine. I puked. I don't know what imbalances were going on in me, but (laughs) water wouldn't stand down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's very similar. (laughs) This is heavy, heavy grizzly bear country. And now you're camping with with a dead animal. With a dead animal. Your arm around the dead. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, but it it happened. It was all right at dark. So I, you know, other than, you know, taking care of the, the general cleaning of it you know i hadn't started any butchering or anything but you know from there it was just because there were so many grizz in the area it it was back to the whole thing that we're talking about being able to make one trip you know that makes a big difference to not have to leave it behind not have to figure out you're in the wilderness you have to sling it that's a way bigger animal than a doll sheep well and you can't cape and cap the skull yeah you have to take everything out and that that's a load. You can't skin the head. You can't skin the head. No. Yeah. What's the thinking on that? That's a good question. I I can only speculate because they don't they don't publish it in the regs or anything. But my guess would would be that they can validate it's only forty eight hours old. Cause you have to check it in in forty eight oh, hours. Yeah, I got you. It allows yeah. them to make some determination. Absolutely. Of yeah. You have you know the eyes. Yeah. There's a lot of forensics that they can put together. It's not somebody's walking over into the next unit, yeah, you know, and showing up three days later and saying, Hey, yeah, I shot dry, this last dry week. ass skull. And yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Huh. Well, then it yeah. took you the better part of two days to get to your truck. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was just barely under the limit, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very unique experience. I, I, I'm yeah. looking forward to going back again. It's up again next year. Yeah. You going to yeah. go? Oh Yeah. 
<laughs> no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Out of those 300 people you think that were that hunted it last year, what do you think the average number of days put in per hunter? I don't know, you know, and I don't know how they calculate that because I, I was never quizzed on how many days that I spent. Hmm. I don't know if you were. I, I could take an educated guess at it. I would say 75% of the people that buy the tag go hunting. Oh, you think so? I think so. Yeah. Is that too I mean, high? I, I, no, I haven't I dabbled say. in this at all, but I, I feel like that's got to be high. Okay. Well, the only just from call sixty just from areas, just some units where I know, like even limited draw units, where you People do not look going. at like participation rates. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be, I don't know, I, I could be wrong. I, I, I would be, I would be a little bit surprised if seventy five percent of people put in some time. Of the people you, that do go hunting, no opinion. Somewhere in there. Yeah, right. Of the people that do 75%. go hunting, I like to believe that these are pretty serious people that oh. are investing their time yeah. and they, they I've never talked to anyone who's done it who was like not an accomplished hunter. Well, I think people do try to go get their toes wet and very quickly decide this is not for them and this is not fun. And I think there are people like that that buy the tag and pretty quickly throw the mm-hmm. towel in. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, the guy's filling tags and the guy's doing it year after year pretty hardcore about it. There's a pretty hardcore scene that goes out and does it, and I would argue puts in seven to fifteen days looking for sheep, and still not finding sheep. And you have to. I mean, if, if the success rate's only less than three percent, you know you're going to have to put in some time. Things are going to have to go your way. You're going to have to have a lot of things all come together. It's uh, it, you can be the best ad dude in the world, but if you if if you're not in the right place at the right time. It's not going to happen. So I think that that's that's kind of the interesting part. Is that it is? It's just a lot of time. So it's not like something you would like go out every weekend and go do. Like you need like a big chunk of time, like five to seven days. If you want to be serious about it, yeah. yeah. But there are guys that are riven. The living. nature of the country it wouldn't work. To do like weekenders. You're not going to go out for a couple hours after work. No, no. no. I mean, a lot of yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the sheep country, you know, takes better than a day to access and. You know, while there are trails in into this country, you're you're not spending a majority of your time on them. Um, or if you are, you're probably not seeing sheep. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many times did you try before you got one, Pete? I killed a ram on my fourth year. So I met Kurt in 2012 and never knew anything about unlimited sheep hunting, but very quickly got the bug just from talking with Kurt and. Um, the next year, 2013 was the first year I bought a tag and I would argue I had better Intel than were you guys, were you guys, were you guys, uh, working on backpacks together at the time? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I, uh, was working at Schnee's at the time. And when Kurt brought stone glacier to market for a short time there, Schnee's was the exclusive retailer. I was the marketing director of Schnee's and met Kurt and shot some product videos and photos with him and learned up on his backpack company that he was starting and pretty quick there was building him in my garage after work to help Kurt get some chores done. Yep. So that's where my involvement with Stone Glacier began. Just kind of after hours lending a helping hand when Kurt wasn't able to get everything done. Uh, But anyways, 2012 met Kurt, 2013 bought my first unlimited tag and what I was saying was I would argue that I had some of the better intel of of unlimited sheep hunters. Kurt had done a tremendous amount of homework that he was generous enough to share with me. And 
I felt like I went into it with a lot of information. Yeah. Which in hindsight really doesn't mean a whole lot. Is that right? See, I thought it was like when I've, because I've thought about this, you know, a good bit over the years. And I like, I don't know why, because some stuff is this way. Or maybe I wished it was this way. I thought it was like, once you know what's up, but it's just different all the time. So the most valuable piece of advice Kurt gave me beyond the maps, beyond the spreadsheets, beyond every little piece of advice he gave me, the most valuable thing that ever stuck with me was don't go chasing dead sheep. Ah, I like that. Because you you get some information. I'm gonna get a hat that says that. There's been five. (laughs) There's been five rams killed there in the last twelve years. It's got to be the spot. Don't go chasing dead sheep. Hmm. He's not there anymore. Hmm. And that there's a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of truth. Because like you're saying, if that was the case, yeah, they'd all the seasons would all close in a couple days. Correct. It would, and it's just not. And the other factor that you need to take into consideration is these are timber rams. These sheep live a tremendous amount of their life in the trees. So visibility is so low. Not, not only are there next to no sheep in there, the few sheep that are in there are extremely hard to find because they're spending so much time in the trees. Yeah. So I started in 2013 and I dove head first into it. And I went on a big rip, big week long expedition and I think I went in like five days before season opened. And on night one, I had scouted quite a bit that summer. I think I had done three different backpacking trips that summer into the Beartooth. Never seen a sheep, just scouted country. Night one, hiking in, saw like eight, nine sheep. And a <laughs> piece of cake. I, I just <laughs> thought I had it figured out. None of them were legal rams. It was a family band, ewes and lambs and a couple young you know, two, three-year-old ram banana heads, what we call them. And I was like, well, there's got to be his big brother coming up behind him. So I camped with him. I camped with him that night. I spent the next morning with him. I was like, there's no big brother here. Yeah. And as much as I wanted to hang out with those sheep, because you're, you're looking at the Easter bunny. I mean, you have found an animal you are not supposed to have found. So it's a fascinating animal to spend time with and to look at. And as much as I wanted to sit there and stay with those sheep, it was like, there's, there's nothing to shoot here. Keep moving. Never saw another sheep in a week. So that was my year one. Actually, this is a whole nother story. But why? But, okay, would it work? When does season end? After Thanksgiving. So you still not into the rut? Well, it matters. Some of these districts are very unique. There are migratory areas and some of the unlimited areas that with the right snowstorm and with the right day on the calendar things might be a little easier than normal yeah. and they no, what should. i was going to suggest is would it ever like but it, to wait for him no that's a tactic for, to wait for rams to, to find use late that is at abs- the tail end of the season when the rams might be starting to think about rut that absolutely is yeah. a tactic that people use and i think they've used successfully but yeah, yeah. it's tough it depends on where you're at though because yeah, you know some of some of that rutting you know they move up to winter so now you're now you're at you know nine they, ten they grow thousand up the shit feet. that's been blown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the different herds do different things in there. Yeah. All right. So some like on day three of that first year, I'm camped. I was camped on a really cool spot, kind of perched on a cliff, a very steep spot with a big drop off below us, and I was had a great view, and I was posted up there for about a day and a half, and out comes a humongous black bear, way below me. I'm like, that's a big bear. 
And then I'm like, ah, it's feeding on something. It's like messing with something and digging and feeding on something. And I put the spotting scope on it. It's eating a mountain goat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know if he killed the mountain goat, if the mountain goat fell and died, but he is consuming a large, dead, white animal down below me. I'm like, that's a big bear. And I love mountain goats. That's not cool that he's eating this mountain goat. <laughs> so I like had it out for this bear. And like, oh, no. a couple days of not seeing sheep, you, you get burnt out quick. You lose, I mean, I think the stamina required, just the endurance, the mental endurance, mental endurance. Yeah. of not seeing an animal day after day after day. It's exhausting and it's very discouraging. And so this bear showed up, like, oh, that'll work. Bear season didn't open until the same day that sheep season opened. Long story short, I watched this bear the next day go into another drainage. I was in the next drainage a couple days later, and here's this big giant bear again. And so I wound up shooting this bear. It was the worst decision of my life. I now had to pack a black bear <laughs> out of the bear tooth wilderness. It was a it was a psychotic so move. In then hindsight, it's a crazy thing. Hunting. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is a damn shame because I had just gotten into the best sheep habitat that I had touched that whole week, and I had to put a bunch of bear meat on my back and walk out. Yeah. So that was year one, and that was a very humbling experience and pretty discouraging. Um, did it year after year. Did not see a legal ram until summer scouting of my third year, and yet I... I don't know if I can speak for Kurt here, but I've when I found a legal ram, you feel like you are looking at Santa Claus. <laughs> no, I can see that. I can't. I can't even begin to explain to you like the feeling of seeing an animal that you are not supposed to have found. So it's a really cool thing, and it's super addicting. So I found a sheep summer scouting, and uh, had my plan, and so you know. Three, four days before season, I was heading back in to the general area where I had seen this ram during the summer and couldn't find anything. Season opened, opening day, I'm hiking up into a drainage. And as I'm coming over this big saddle, I run, here come three hunters towards me. And I realized it's, they've got a mountain goat on their back. They're goat hunters and they filled a tag on yeah. opening day. And I should talk to them, great goat, congratulations. Hey, what are the odds you've seen some sheep or a legal ram? Like, oh, yeah. We saw one this morning. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You saw, you saw a ram. Santa. Hey, you, saw, big, you saw Santa. Big red suit this morning? <laughs> Carrying a he was here. So they were like, and I, and I grilled them. I was like, let me be like, let's talk in detail about what you saw and where and exactly what it was. And they were very confident that they had seen a legal ram. So I climbed the highest peak. To my right in that saddle, from that saddle, I went 1,500 feet up to the tippy top of the peak. And I sat down and I sat, that was 8 a.m. in the morning, no, 7, 8 a.m. I ran into those people, get up on top of the peak. I sat there all day. I was like, I know he's somewhere. Yeah. He didn't vaporize. I sat there all day. And 30 minutes before dark, this ram comes loping through the saddle where I'd talked to the goat hunters. Really? Like full run. He looked scared. I, I, you know, hunter, it's opening day. There's some traffic. There's pack trains coming through some of these drainages. There's some commotion compared to a normal day. This ram just comes running through. 
Long story short, I camped on that ramp. It wasn't opening day. I apologize. This was prior opening day because I spent a day and a half with the sheep, not able to shoot him yet. Hmm. So that's what it is. Goat season opens before unlimited season. Yep. So these goat hunters fill yeah, their tag, I'm call it September 12th. I can't shoot this sheep until September 15th. So I find him, put him to bed. I lived with him for, I didn't leave him for, you know, I lost sight of him throughout the day and stuff, but I spent the better part of two days with this sheep. You know, the night of September 14th, next, next morning is opening day. The sheep beds 300 yards from my tent, just me and the ram. That's it. And he's 300 yards away from my tent. I'm like, that's great. Sun's going to come up. I'm going to go dump this thing and I'm going to get this ram. Well, that night, a horrible blizzard blew in. Hardcore snowstorm came in and uh, really nasty weather. And so I got up in the dark and I was like, I don't care. It's nasty out. I know where that sheep was sleeping. He's got to be somewhere close to there. Even if he moved, he's somewhere over there. So I go out in the dark and I got soaking wet and really cold. Sun came up, sheep's gone. In hindsight, that sheep definitely hightailed it down into the timber when that weather blew in. Yep. I looked and looked for him that morning, and as hypothermia began to set in and as more bad weather began to blow in, I I quickly realized I had to leave. It's like I can't I can't stay up here in this state. So I hiked out, I went home, I did a load of laundry, slept in my bed, and I came right back. And I hiked back in and I spent a lot of time looking for that sheep never saw him again really so are you glassing up all kinds of elk and shit when this is going on or is it not like that place is pretty void of life <laughs> yeah, grizzly bears. a lot of grizzly bears you see a lot of grizzly bears yeah. sometimes you see goats yeah. but no there's i've seen one in my four years of hunting in there i've seen one elk herd a couple mule deer a couple goats and a bunch of bears hmm. and a couple sheep yep so what year was that that was my third season Okay. And so that's like I'm getting I'm dialing this in a little bit. I'm starting to regularly see sheep. I'm feeling a little more confident about it. And then uh year four is almost repeat. Opening day, found a ram, weather blew in, lost lost the ram, bad weather blew in. So it was like absolute repeat. I went home. I, I walked out of there, hiked all the way out to let the weather, you know, you get these 48, I was like, you can sit in your tent for 48 hours. Or you can hike for 10 hours and get out of here. Yeah. Like it happens. It's like this wet, I, shitty snow. You think like, like I got three days of this. Yeah, I'm like going to go eat a cheeseburger. Later, yeah. Like and, two days later, you're hot as shit again. And it's all sunny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went home, weathered, weathered the storm, did some laundry, went back in there. Um, turned up. No, I didn't turn up sheep. I camped next morning. My tactic throughout my four years of hunting, which I still think is the most productive way to do it is to get to the highest point you can. And I don't think that's exactly Kurt style, but that's how I hunted the unlimited is I would go to the tippy top of stuff and I would post up and I would spend whole days sitting on mountaintops where I could just see everything. And then you'd turn around and you could see everything over there. Yeah. So just keeping visibility in your favor and something I didn't wasn't good at before I was hunted sheep and was, uh, you know, talking with Kurt about sheep hunting a lot was the sun. How important it is to plan your day around the sun to work with it. Work with the sun. Yeah. Don't work against it. 
always plan your whole day around, I'm going to be glassing to the west in the morning. I'm going to be glassing to the east at sunset. Yeah, yeah. what Pete's saying, this is a, this is a tricky stuff. thing, man, because if you're up in a glass and tip and you got 360 degrees of stuff you want to look at, when the sun's bad, for one, where you look in one direction, everything's shadowed. And you look in another direction and everything's just glowing nice. It's like you got to make a decision where, like, I'm going to ignore the shadowed shit. As good as I know it seems, and as much as there's probably animals over there, I'm going to ignore that and just glass the stuff where the sun is really working for me. But it takes, like, that takes discipline. Oh, yeah. Because pretty soon you waste your time staring at that shitty stuff. When meanwhile, the good side, they, like, the animals glow. Oh, yeah. When the sun hits them. Yeah, you got to put everything in your favor. And using the sun to your advantage while glassing is certainly a good place to start. Because then you said they start moving too once the sun hits them, right? Yeah, uh, a, a bighorn sheep, on average, I don't think likes to lay out bed, particularly in direct sunlight. I think, like, if a sheep beds in the morning in the in a shady, nice little spot, and at ten thirty, eleven a.m., when the sun gets up a little higher and the sun direct sunlight is hitting that sheep, more often than not, he's going to get up and he's going to go find his second bed for the day. So you'll see, but he might move twenty yards. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. But 20 might, yards into the timber. Yeah, he might move on the other side of his tree. Yeah, too, you know, gone. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyways, went back in and turned up a ram right at first light. Same ram? No, no, different sheep. And uh, So you're like, you're like Joe Unlimited now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jim. No. Jim Unlimited. Turned up some sheep right at first light. Made a quick move on him and moved in tight on him, and he pegged me. He, I wound up being within a hundred yards of this ram. Bumped him. Oh, and he had he was bug eyed, staring <laughs> straight at me when I shot him. Oh, that's the one you got. Yeah, I got him. Gotcha. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs. And here's one of those buddies, Max. Not the dog, but the buddy. I've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states, U.S. and Canada. Different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees, and it just doesn't stop working. I'm a fan for life. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. Hey, heads up all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. After building custom fly rods for more than 25 years... Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures 
day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana casting company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. Mm-hmm. So now you got seven years. Seven years. Well, I, I drew a permit in Alaska, so I'm going sheep hunting next month. Oh, what did you do, like toke or delta? Chugach. Oh, you did? Yeah, right. I drew a Chugach permit, so I'm going doll sheep hunting in August. Yeah. Get one of these white ones, hopefully. Yeah, man. So, but that one, because you don't have a relative up there, you got to right. hire a guide. Correct, yeah. That'll be fun, though. It'll be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun trip. You going to fly in? No, it's a hike in only. It's uh oh, the Chugach State. It's the state land. state park. It's yeah. Upper Eagle River, yeah, which is uh you start at the Nature Center, I think. And I'll, have to, I'll have to connect you with my brother, man. Okay, you guys need resources and for sure. I'm going up on Monday, actually. Oh, yeah. So maybe we we'll go get lunch or something. Yeah, but or whatever you know stuff. It's hiking His only. Place, There's no landing like, strip. Living when you live in Anchorage, you find a lot of dudes that have a lot of dead shit in your garage throughout the fall, man. Because that's this is it's like. <laughs> Having a house there, people were like, hey, man, can I use your freezer? Can I use your... <laughs> oh, yeah. The amount of... Uh, what's funny about his house is the amount of bear spray. <laughs> a lot of it. In milk crates. <laughs> milk crates of bear spray because <laughs> everyone flies to Alaska. Leaves it. Buys oh. bear spray. Home. Yeah. Then they always like somehow wind up sleeping in his house or storing shit in his house. And he has like crates of pepper spray That's <laughs> awesome. in his garage. Yeah. That's good, man. Those are good stories. Is it worth it like... Is it too hard? Are, are you interested in going? I'm, I'm not like asking because I want. I'm not asking you like take me. But um, is that not interesting? Is it just like too hard to be like okay, I'll throw in with a buddy of mine? Is it the kind of thing you kind of got to be doing it for yourself? I was not really into solo hunting when I started this whole endeavor. I in fact didn't like it. I and it was something you have to get comfortable with because you find out really quickly it's very hard to find somebody to join you in the middle a, of the elk rut on a two percent hunt on a two percent hunt yeah because if you had some sweet tag like like i like to jump in when friends draw like bitch and tag me too because like yeah we're gonna go in there there's gonna be shit running around everywhere we're gonna shoot a big old one let's oh, go yeah. but to have it be like no we're not gonna see anything we're uh, not gonna get anything <laughs> are you like to come <laughs> there's lots of bears <laughs> would you like to come and watch me not get anything it does interest me i think i will spend oh, really? some time go in the unlimiteds this year yeah it does interest me i've got a couple of good friends who are Giving it hell several years into it now. Gotcha. And it does interest me because we got to do it again. Every seven years, you can try again. And it's really exciting because Kurt gets his tag back next year. So Danny be loving. Now, is it helpful um, if someone did want to go? And like, I'd like to go and just glass up with you. Is that helpful or does it just want to be not helpful? Because then you got to deal with too many people's attitudes. More eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's more eyes. If they want to split, they can split. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've I've never been in that situation. I can't really speak to it, but I would have to think, if you have somebody that's like-minded, that wants to spend the time. And they want a pound glass. Yeah, and that they don't get antsy. They're patient. They know the program. 
But if you want to go along and think that, you know, it's like run and gun and elk during, you know, the 20th of September on the chase, it, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's just a lot of misery and miles and then sitting for long periods of time. It's you know, a nasty it, place, man. It is, shit. it is. It oh. is, you know, you're just, and then there are lots of different ways that people can go about it. I know guys have been successful many different ways, but you know, typically you're not going to go, you know, jump one up out of the timber and is pack stock, is pack stock helpful? No, you can't take no. a horse into this stuff. No, I, it, it's, too shitty. it's, it's been, it's been done. Um, but it guys give you a big advantage. A, no, no. I mean, so some of the country you can't, some of the units can't even get biggest advantage horses. you can give yourself is time. The more yeah. time you just have to clock, you just have to go punch the clock. Yeah. Now, how often does it happen? Um, that day one, you know, different ends of the unit, whatever, like day one, bam, bam, two guys, or bouch, two guys get them. You you hear about the old war story. I mean, there's there's stories of that happening, and I've never heard of it happening in recent years, but it has happened. It's definitely happened, where opening day, three sheep get shot. Gotcha. And then there's still a 24-hour grace period where you can legally harvest a sheep within the next two days. So I'm with you. Yeah. So give me a um give give me like a give me a big uh stone glacier sales pitch, man. You ever done that before? We've got our general manager right here. He's, this is his job. <laughs> <laughs> Sell a ketchup popsicle to a lady in white gloves, bud. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a line from Tommy Boy if nobody else picked up. <laughs> I, I, I got a good sale pit, sales pitch. You know, I had seen him around a bunch. And I was like, yeah, another backpack, another hunting backpack. You know, they looked pretty good. But I hadn't re- – like I had touched them in schnees, I think, and, you know, fart, farted around a little bit with them. <laughs> and uh, even I think I had even had one. Pete had shown me how to use it, and I carried it around a little bit. But Why don't you what, tell everybody how we met? Um. How did we meet? We met in a in a bar. In a bar, right? After no, a we met no, in I a yoga in a class. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, man. That was Broga. later. That was Yanni, later. That was Yanni later. goes to Kurt, Broga. Kurt gave me a, a yoga pass for Christmas yes. one year. I was doing some yoga. I walk in. Done, this guy's got a meet me yoga t-shirt six on. times, man. You love it? I've been there six times, yeah. It's the best. I like it a lot. So My wife a, wanted me to go last There's a guy with a meat eater shirt on. I'm like, hey, you hunt? He's like, yeah, in fact, I produced this television show called Meat Eater. I'm like, oh, cool. That was pre- uh, This was the first time I saw you. The podcast with Randall, and we went out to dinner and had beers? We went turkey hunting the morning before that podcast. We've had some great turkey hunts. I'm a real redneck turkey hunter. Like you bushwhack. Just kill him. Just get the turkey killed. And Giannis is such an artsy turkey hunter. It's got to be this beautiful setup, and I've just just shoot the bird. Uh, anyway, sorry, I totally cut you off. My memory doesn't serve me right. You're talking about Stone yeah, Glacier you were doing packs. a big old sales pitch. Yeah, yeah act like but I'm I, an investor. I, but can, can I tell you story, the, the the follow-up story to the yoga class? Is I'm like, oh sweet, yeah, good to meet you. Bye, see you here again. Don't see Pete. Don't see Pete. Don't see Pete. Because he only like, had one pass. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, the guy is, is a stingy Christmas gift. 
He was chasing something else that was in that class <laughs> that, that wasn't that a serious. rhymes with class? <laughs> yeah, bye. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, didn't work out for me. Not doing yoga anymore. <laughs> oh, no. Waste my time down there. I remember it a little differently. Getting all, getting all stretchy. Oh, well, I'm there quite often still. I know you are. I haven't seen you around. They call me Yanni Yoga. Do they? Yanni Yoga. Um, but no, yeah, I got but like a lot of good it does. You all crippled up all the time. Blowing yeah. your knees out all the time. I tell you, I can't wait to go back in now that this knee is going to be scoped and fixed. I'm going to get the flexibility that I have in my left knee and my right knee. But you saw Dude, some stone glaciers. My, my, my right side pigeon is going to go to a, the next level. Can you? I can bend over now. I can bend over and f- palms flat on the ground. Knees locked. Yeah. That's nice. impressive. That's yeah. good. That's I quite a forward I can't even touch fold. my toes when that I bend bendy. over. What's that? I can't even touch my toes. Not as bendy as I am. Uh, that's very clear. <laughs> that's right. Um, so anyhow, here I am. I'm like, hey, man, thinking about getting a pack pack. What do you think I should get? Oh, we got. you probably don't get this. I got the special sales pitch from Kurt at the uh, now the old showroom. Right? Why can't I have the sale? Why, why won't you give me the sales pitch? No, because like, he doesn't hang around in the showroom. He doesn't hang around in the showroom. He's down here at the juke. He's yeah. stitching. But uh, I was just about to go backpack hunting with your brother or llama hunting. And, uh, it's kind of like, like, like backpack. Yeah, yeah. Light. Now, light ladies and gentlemen, he's not mean hunting. hunting llamas. He means <laughs> hunting with llamas as pack animals. I've et llama. Yeah, I've et llama. Oh, but you were good. not hunting llamas. It was like in a, it was in a dish. It could have been yeah. a house cat. You would have <laughs> I've had alpaca. You've had alpaca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just tastes like very tender beef. Tastes like meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it like all super cooked or was it like a steak? No, it was like a steak. Oh, see, I hadn't, I didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was like very, um, yeah, like presented like a steak. It was like very tender. Really? Meat. Yeah, it was really good. tell my brother. I was into it. Backstrap, maybe. I don't know, maybe. Plan B. I know, guy, yeah, <laughs> I got a good place you can hunt llamas. I'll give me my brother's address. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I can't even remember. Are you giving a sales pitch or not? I'm trying. Oh. And uh, I was getting ready to go hunt with your brother. And I had the Solo 3300. And I'm in there and I'm like, yeah, I'm telling Kurt and Pete, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think this pack's like going to be big enough because we're going in for six nights, seven nights maybe, you know, and I, th- I think I need a little bit bigger pack. And uh, Kurt's like, oh, no, you don't. I did 14 days in a limited sheep <laughs> unit with this pack. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> show me, please. And uh, yeah, so you showed me how to run basically the, uh, what do you guys call like the load sack? Load shelf. The, no, not the load shelf, but what's the sack that goes? The in, wedges between the pack the and the Load frame. cell dry bag. Load cell dry bag. He's like, so you just take this, put your food in here. So this is, this is it basically looks like a very uh, a tidy game bag that's tidy. water resistant. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you can slip it basically between the pack and your frame. Yeah, because the whole bag will kind of move away from move the frame. Away. Yeah. And then you just, he showed me, then he just said, yeah, you just walk into the woods. And then when you get to your spot where you're going to hunt, the best part about what I liked about the system is that you just pull that out, pull out your uh, cord, throw it up in a tree. Now you've got your food hung and you just cinch down your backpack. You got an extra tidy pack now and off you go. I was like, man. That's the shit. So I was going to, I was going to start just like adding attachments and extra bags and you know this, that, and the other. And instead, I walked into the woods lighter on that trip, you know, because of that pack and that system. And uh, I was sold. Liked it, yeah. No, and it works so slick, man. I mean, the whole time I was hunting, 
when we talked about this earlier, but I had the capability to carry a quarter out had we gotten something. But while I'm hunting, I felt like I have a little day pack on, you yeah, know? No, that's what I like. It weighs nothing. You kind of like forget it's there. In your own pack that you use, do you guys put the white hang bags? Do you use those or do you not use them? I use them. I do not connect them to the backpack. Yeah, you, you use it as a... I use them to organize my things. You don't, you don't hang it inside there? I do not. I find myself kind of like liking to hang it in there, but I was curious if you guys did. Because it's makes it easy to find. Yeah, because yeah. like I got like couple, you know put a couple extra shells and shit like shit you might you know oh yeah and then I could just like reach in there and oh I use a bunch of them I'm very organized in my backpack and have little kits and stuff but yeah I, I more often than not pulling them out and throwing them in yeah throwing well, stuff I, in I just tent. like I like having it where I can even in the dark it's right there yeah I just know and I put my hand there and I drag it out mm-hmm. yeah Giannis touched quickly on the ability to carry a quarter out and our load shelf feature and the ability to carry something between a frame and a bag. And that's worth talking about for a second, which is the physics behind why carrying something in a load shelf configuration, i.e. keeping heavy stuff close to your back is the smartest way to carry heavy stuff off a mountain. And, uh, Kurt's taken, done some cool experiments and we've got them all on our website, um, to where the lateral forces, that the pack is going to affect on you uh, are much smaller when the heavy load is vertically oriented up and down your back close to your center of gravity rather than moving away from your center of gravity. So you can't change gravity. 100 pounds, 100 pounds, 100 pounds. Yeah. You can change the forces that that weight is going to uh, put on your body. When it's waving back and forth. Pull you around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the closer you can keep the heavy stuff to your back, the better it is. What about lower or higher? Conventional wisdom is lower. Yeah, well, it it changes because it all depends on the center of gravity of the body, right? So uh, take, for example, in a, in a standard pack, if, if you... It, if you wanted to, you know, you're working off of that that general fulcrum angle, you know. know Well, just just that just that leverage, the the angle that it comes up. So the 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 farther you move it away from your back, the more leverage that is going to have. Okay, but the point that you're going to work from is the center of gravity of your body. You know, somewhere in your hips. That's 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 the fulcrum. That's where it's you know moving you back and forth. So you can move the load higher and achieve the same vertical amount of leverage as as if it was as if it was lower but the problem is is now you're lateral you know you're left to right now you've increased that leverage going that way so you know there's this there's this uh this this medium where you where you try to get it close enough to to offset both leverage and what we've found is when you draw it all out on autocad and you figure out the density of the meat and you figure out you know the density generally of of the gear that you're carrying and you start moving it around and you're going to get you're going to get a center of gravity of your pack at some point so you move it here it might move up it might move down so the key is being able to get it the most in line obviously with your your center of gravity, yep. you know, which is generally going to be in the center of your hips, and so yeah, that's like no why. one ever put a quarter in right side up. Yeah, yeah, it, that's 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 a great example. <laughs> a little top heavy, yeah, because it's in it's physically in the same spot vertically. Yeah, 
but you know now you're left to right yeah. front to back you know being able to control it so yeah that, that's that's kind of the concept behind it is just being able to increase stability and any advantage that you can get yeah you know, if you're only packing it a few hundred yards to your truck obviously it doesn't make that big yeah. a difference but if you're under that same load for for two days you have to manage the meat. So now you have to be able to get out, especially in sheep hunting. If you're in the Northwest Territories, you know, you're even earlier in the year in Alaska, you're in early August, you don't know what kind of weather you're going to have. So you can't just leave it in a ball of meat. You're going to have to, you know, get it out, get some air on it, get it cool, try to get it on ice if there's a glacier around, whatever, whatever you can do to take care of the meat. So now being able to manage it and keep it clean and then be able to repack it. So if you just end up with a you know a ball of meat in the middle of your pack with all the rest of your gear, there's just there's a whole nother level of dynamics yeah. you need to start to work with. That's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is how much in those kind of hot days, August, September, how much you're messing with that stuff. Oh, you have to be on it all the time. Airing it out, putting the shade, taking it out of the shade, putting your bag. You can't just like throw it in a garbage bag and put it in your backpack and then like think it's gonna two days later gonna be like that. No. No, no, that's it. And you could lose it quickly. Yeah, you're like yeah. keeping an eye on yeah. all getting the, time. the heat out of it, you know, quickly Dry. right after you right after you take it. Yeah. You know. Um so yeah, that, that's that's kind of the concept behind it is twofold. You know, one of it is is an easier way to manage the meat once you have it, keep it as clean and then and and you know, keep as much of it as you can, obviously, and not lose anything. And then being able to have it in the most comfortable spot. So are are you uh are you digging the backpack business? Like, do you, most years you you know go and sell more packs than you did the year before and stuff like that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I dig so it a lot. You're I really like it. it. You're in it to stay. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll start making part. all kinds of other shit too? Oh, you never know. There's there's a there's a lot more time to work on stuff like that right now. Fanny you know? packs. Yeah, well, we might do fanny packs, Merces. Yeah, know? yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. No, but I mean, but you're not kidding about making other stuff. I'm not kidding about that. No. No, I mean, there's, there's if you were going to go make some other thing, what would you go make? Oh, <laughs> like what? Cl- like, complete, you don't have to be like completely out of pack. But like, what pack. class of like? Yeah, like what would be like Mount, you, mountain hunting gear? Okay, yeah, mountain hunting gear. Yeah, I think things that go along with it that naturally go along with it. The the stuff that you pull out of your pack. So you're not like a new kind of claw hammer. No, no, no. We're gonna. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll so. stay in like. Like, yeah, high, high quality mountain gear. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, that that's the fun part about it. But give me a t- like. Okay, here, I, I put it this way: What would be something that you'd be like? <laughs> say it finishes sense. You know, uh, Steve, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road I made a blank. Five. I made a. <laughs> I made a piece of gear that you're going to be carrying in our backpack. In, in a stone glacier backpack. <laughs> yeah. So something I might tote around in my pack. There yeah, is a yeah. lot of cool stuff on the drawing board. Right oh, really? Now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, it is fun. I think that's that's the best part of the business as far as I'm concerned. Brittany, how'd you cut your leg up so bad? Chicken wire fence. <laughs> I have like a Digging chick- a wire fence? Chicken wire. Guess you're trying to restrain some chickens? No, my um, my my I have a little five month old puppy that likes to get into oh, my garden. Oh, you're trying to keep it, trying to keep, keep it out of the out garden. There. Yeah, you know, you got any concluding thoughts, Brittany? <sighs> I don't want to. I don't want to go first. <laughs> yeah, <honey? laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have. I got. I got shit. I got nothing. All my questions are answered. 
I was going to say it's easy for Kurt to uh, go sheep hunting in September in the middle of the rut in good elk country here because he's already got a whole uh, corner of, the, of his man cave here. They're not even on the wall. Sewing room. There's sewing room. Sewing room. <laughs> Um, was just room. let me see how many are there? One, two, three, four, five. Any more? Biggest five, ones in the garage. Five here. There's probably more others. Just beautiful six point bowls that anybody would be happy with. So once you've amassed these, then you're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Elk, schmelk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going sheep hunting. I don't care if I see any animals anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all the animals. Just out here to suffer. Oh, <laughs> I, had a, I had an old client once tell me after we killed a uh, six point bull that was maybe as big as the smallest one that I'm looking at here. And he said, yes, you can never have too many six point bowls. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Six points is six yeah. points. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I think like, yeah, I think I got muley bucks. I feel like you can't just, there's no, I could see that. Like you'd say you can't have, I'd never be like, points. like for instance, for instance, like I went muskox hunt, no desire at all to go muskox hunt. Mm. But I'm just saying like, yeah, I think that people find their kind of a lot of guys find their thing, you know. Like how many how many buck racks did we count up hanging in Doug Dern's in the Buckman Juice Room? Twenty, I don't yeah. know, not all his, but I mean, you know, he's it's not, he's not like oh, you know, two more and I'm done. You know, it's just not how he looks at it. Yeah. Uh, what was your concluding thought? That was it. Yeah, that was can't it. have too many big old. Can't have too many six points. And that's that, it, and, and that's how you get to go unlimited sheep hunting. Is after you've amassed, the you have to give up September elk hunting. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, what's up? So uh, your wife doesn't like you have you, you can't put uh, antlers and whatnot up in your living room. No, I could. I, I like having everything right here, just right in one spot. Yeah, I like Condense. My, I like, it all I like my space. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things yeah. I like about my wife. Yeah, I put anything anywhere I want. People are always like, "Oh, I can't put it in the bedroom." It's, it's like, dude. I don't want to say I would go get a new wife, but <laughs> yeah, my wife, my wife doesn't mess me about stuff like that, man. I'm yeah. not saying yours does either. You just like yeah. to keep it all tidy. I, I like, yeah, tidy. I like, I like my space. I like, yeah, you like to have yeah. like this way. You come when down. I, when there, I come they, down here, that's what I want to. There see. they all are. Yeah, all I don't have to walk. There they all are. Tied. Kurt's a fan of buffalo too. I take it because I see two pieces of art with buffalo on them. Yeah, actually, my sister painted that one for me. Oh wow! Yeah, back in the day, but yeah. You know what I like about you most, Kurt, is that uh, you keep everything real neat. I have a real problem, like with neatness, meaning that I like it. Too, I like garage. it too much. I like it too much. It's yeah, like Not, I don't have a problem keeping neat. I just like I like it so much that it becomes a thing in and of itself. It's like there's a great functional quality to neatness, right? But for me, neatness is an end in itself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. That's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. Well, a four and a six-year-old take care of that. Well, so I, got a, I got a two, four, and seven. <laughs> two, two, four, and seven. So they yeah. do. No. Like when we talk, we, we have a fishing shack, and, and my brother, who likes stuff neat too, he's like, when he closes his eyes and pictures it in the future, he pictures a Coast Guard station. Like that neat. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But this, no, this room doesn't make Which me Which brother? Anxious. Matt. Matt's trick to neatness, though, is to get rid of all your shit. He says, he goes, when I shut the door in my house, I like to sound like I'm walking into a gymnasium. (laughs) (laughs) So his neatness is just to expunge the house of all items. So it's like his house is like about as empty as a house could be. 
because that means it's like there's nothing to straighten up because he got rid of it all. You know, just like stripped. He lives a monastic, like a fairly monastic life. Yeah, he, he lives, commented on liking my house. He lives nine reason. hours away from his wife. They have separate homes that are nine hours apart. Wow. When they hang out, it's like they're like a, like a dating couple, having a good old time. Good stuff. Yeah, and it's not like they're they're not about it. They're not about it. Like, oh, we're just trying to get through this, right? And then it'll be that they're like just very fine with that him having his very neat house <laughs> without even having her shit cluttered up. <laughs> <laughs> well i i, f- I figured out you got one now you got a ripper yes. lay it at me it was I'm, that I'm excited um, to hear this concluding thought well like when you guys first asked me to be on this particular podcast and you said you were going to talk about sheep hunting the whole time i was like i don't really have anything to contribute which I didn't have much, but but what I will say is that I think you guys, I went into it thinking like, I don't think I could ever do a sheep hunt or would ever want to do one. I think you guys, you know, your Brit- enthusiasm definitely changed my mind. I'm not going to do it Brittany next told me year, today. maybe. <laughs> you always, always supply. But this like, year you're like, I'm not applying for a sheep yeah, tag, yeah. No, Brittany told me today <laughs> that she would have a hard time shooting a bull elk because they're too majestic. Oh my. She has a thing of like the majestic quality. I don't know. And... You yeah, want to see majestic. Know. You should see them up close once they're dead. <laughs> I mean, but Real that's the majestic. thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I feel like, and I've just never, I've never had the opportunity, so I can't say like what would happen like in the moment. You know, it's hard. It's one thing to say it now sitting here, but it's another to say it like actually in the moment. But I don't know. Like, I feel like if I saw one, I would just be like, like last, se- uh, last season, um, we, my boyfriend and I went hunting in, uh, for mule deer in the Missouri breaks, and I had an opportunity at like a huge... Um, Buckster Buck and I like I was just like my boyfriend was like are you gonna just what's going on here like my jaw was on the floor so I don't know it's weird to me because that seems like a patriarchal perspective but to have a woman say that she grants a male animal a higher majestic score that's entirely possible than a female seems like i like it because it's unexpected i would just expect to have i I would visualize that as like this like very like patriarchal view of animals i don't know somehow the male the male is more he's the he's the special one well he's more like spectacular i mean he has these incredibly huge you know, antlers that, you know, took him a long time to grow those. No, he grows them in a few months. I, know. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, there's something more like majestic to the way that they look, but it's it the also fastest has to do growing with thing like, on earth. I don't know. It's also has, lines. it has, I don't know. I, I can't, fastest I can't explain it. I can't explain no, it. No, you don't need to. That was a good one. Uh, Kurt, you got anything you don't want to add? Boy, I don't. Uh, you ever get shocked messing around with high voltage electricity? I guess you don't get many chances to have it. No, happen. no, it's kind of a one shot deal. <laughs> Would you ever combine the two somehow? High voltage packs. <laughs> I thought about it. Go into like style. Thai fashion and and like make fancy packs with yeah. that, like glow in the dark. Or yeah, something. Well, yeah, with your, your specific tools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to go. You know, people will spend a lot of money on their recreation. They really won't spend it on their work necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So. I, yeah, but it'd be a fun. Oh, concept. you mean you're not going to make like a souped up tool kit for? I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Compete with Lowe's and Home Depot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, never been shocked. You got, nope. any, you got anything you want to add that you didn't get a chance to? Like you were wishing had come up, but it never came up. 
No, huh? No, I mean, I just uh, appreciate you guys having us on, and it's been a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Learned a lot. came on. I hope you can sell a whole shitload of packs, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to keep hammering on it. And I think you guys need to start two marketing campaigns. One would be tidy. Tidy Write packs. this down. Okay. Two would be We Kill Unlimited Rams. <laughs> <laughs> and just have a sign that says that. Yeah. Non-guided. We kill non-guided unlimited rams. Well, you know, it's it's funny that that's that that would be my only closing comment on that is is that the the unlimited sheep hunt is uh, people are pretty tight with the information. The guys yeah. who go in there and spend the amount of time, uh, it, you know, you own it, you you earn it, and so. But in in the same respect. You can have all the information in the world from guys that have been successful and go in there and, you know, not, not, not see anything. Yeah. But, you know, kind of reminds me of Fight Club or something. You know, number one rule, right? First What's number one rule. First rule Don't of unlimited cheap hunting. Oh. Do not talk about unlimited cheap hunting. <laughs> Sorry. Our, uh, that's, our, I gotta our, our, but you haven't done anything no, bad because you guys haven't even named like a drainage. <laughs> no. Uh, mountain no. range. Yeah. Um, but that's a question I have is, do you feel like it could be a possibility that you might get your tag back next year and that you could haunt every year until you're like, all right, I'm over unlimited sheep hunting and ne- not kill another ram? Well, there's only a 2.57% chance that, I, you know, that I'll yeah. take one. So, I, I mean, mean obviously, statistically- you're, a, you're, you're a positive <laughs> thinking person because you're going to go in there and try. And every yeah. time you walk in there, you're thinking, I'm going to kill one. But like, that's a realistic possibility. You could hunt another 20 years and not kill another sheep. Yeah, yeah and, it, and I think it depends on you know, how you, where you hunt, what you want to do. Do you want to spend more time exploring it? Do you want to, it, not that this is going to happen, and it might sound silly to say, but I'd almost be disappointed if you walked in there and only spent three right. days after waiting seven years and you got one. You, I mean, you wouldn't turn it down, and I don't want to. Yeah. But there's there there's a lot to being able to look up at that and 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 say you know I invested a lot of time. There were a lot of good memories that went along with it. That might be the representation of it right now. But really, what was special was just the stuff that I got to experience. Where you know how you grew back there, how you overcame things that that you didn't think maybe you would. You know those times when you haven't seen anything for nine days and you start to question why am I here? You know. You could be spending time with my family right now. I haven't seen anything for nine days. And then the 10th day, something's there. Like It just happens like that. So, you know, all of those things that you, that you start to grow, and then you start to apply that to, say, elk hunting, where you're seeing many elk in comparison. Yeah. And, and it, it, it changes your, your perception of hunting, I think, is probably the most positive thing that's done for me. Because you pay more attention to you know, all the little things that happen opposed to just, you know, the big things and something standing in front of you. Right? Yeah. So. Because some days there are no big things. Yeah. Many days. Most days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, after nine days of being by yourself, yeah. that doesn't happen very long you, or very often. You start to run out of things to even think about. No, most people, yeah. most you know, people, it's, it's an it interesting will, dynamic. Most people it will never, ever happen. Bring um, a book. Or three. Yeah. <laughs> Bring a book. Work with the sun. That was a ringer of a closing thought right there. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any final thing you want to add, man? Things that didn't come up that you wish you'd got to talk about? I, I want to talk about a big old puss we just caught in our shrimp pot, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. 
Okay. It was actually my buddy's shrimp. I am pot. I am so confused about what you octopus. just said. Okay. Yeah, we got big octopus. <laughs> I'm thinking of a cat so, and a shrimp basket. You want to talk about something that never happened. You guys think unlimited sheep hunting. <laughs> it's like seeing Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> Getting octopus and shrimp pots. Just like, you know. Doesn't happen. You pull a lot of shrimp pots and I get octopus. Go out the other day and I boated over to my, like, a buddy of mine was out pulling shrimp pots. And he was kind of mad that I wasn't coming to help him. And I don't want to go because it's, it's a very difficult area to take a skiff to. And I go over there, and he already he had eight in the water. He already pulled six. He's kind of pissed. Not really pissed, but he's annoyed. Um, hook it up, pull a pot, big old puss, man. Yeah, got cool. to keep. He's in my freezer right now. I was all geared up to talk about that. So tell me how you're going to cook it, because we did that a couple of times in Alaska, and we. Yeah. Never really got it figured out. <laughs> you, yeah, it was really good. It just was you had to you had to work at it. There's a couple ways people do it. Um, one way is you take a switch, like a I know that one chef likes to use an apple switch, a stick, yeah, and beat the snot out of it. Whack, whack, whack. Huh. Or uh, in Japan, they'll take a bucket and they'll have salt, coarse salt in the bucket. And put it in the bottom of a five gallon bucket with a bunch of very coarse salt. Like a brine? Punch it. No, you just put it in the bottom and just start punching the legs and punching the legs and working around and punching, punching, punching. Are you saying this is to kill it? Or no. to, oh, like, to kill it? How do you kill it? Oh, no, no, we, oh, yeah, we figured that part out. <laughs> yeah, to kill it, you got to cut way that, lower than you think it would because the brain is to tenderize slow. it. To tenderize That's it. That's crazy. Yeah, so you just, you ever watch uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell, he's, there's a scene in there where someone's tenderizing That's an octopus. Right. Just beating it in the bottom of a bucket. That's crazy. Uh, my mentor in all things, uh, in all things salt water, um, parboils them. So thirty minutes. He he, he gets no pissed. beating at all. He gets pissed when you say parboil. He roll. He likes to say roll boil. He roll boils them, the arms for thirty minutes, and then the kind of this outside skin kind of comes off. You scrape it off. Then he packs it into dry brine, four to one. <laughs> Then he smokes it. Then he jars it. And it is the best shit on the planet, man. My uh, closing thought (laughs) (laughs) is, man, does that puss sound good? Man, I want some octopus for dinner now. Um, Mine would just be to encourage people to try new things and collect as many experiences as you can. And if unlimited sheep hunting is one of those things, go for it. Yeah, there's and, only 300 uh, other guys out there trying to kill 10 sheep. Just man. know what you're getting into. Just know what you're signing up for and the realities of it. And uh, it's the most rewarding thing. Oh, yeah. That know? getting out there and doing stuff thing is so important. Yeah. If we're just getting into like general life shit, yeah. because when you're <laughs> laying there dying, what dying, do I do? We got a couple minutes. You're not going to be like, man, am I glad I didn't do that unlimited sheep hunt. <laughs> right? It's just not going to be what That's you right. say when you die. Yeah. Unless you're dying on the unlimited sheep hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're dying in the bird wilderness. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong? Um, I feel like I'm, I should... I'm actually, I'm, whatever you say, I'm not answering because I'm done talking. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is the time for the story. Because what if he wants to tell us a story himself? Who? We're going to possibly go in and hang out with uh, Poswitz and do some podcasts. Uh, just, tell us, just tell us. He, you guys know Jim Poswitz, one of Montana's greatest conservationists. Well, I mean, he's a national figure. Yeah. 
He's a national figure. But he did most of his work He's here. A very, yeah, but very influential conservationist. Yeah. You, could, you could say that he, you know, not single-handedly, but he certainly spearheaded the effort that kept the Yellowstone River from being uh, dammed there. Helped keep it the longest free-flowing river yeah. in the country. But I was uh, hanging with him the other morning, talking, uh, doing some uh, recording of some other stuff. Sorry, can I, and, can I yeah. stick something? I thought you were done talking. Well, I messed something up. <laughs> the longest freestone river in the lower 48. Not the country. Copy. Okay. Um, and Jim, I think, is 82 this year and drew a goat tag. For, I think the second or third time. He's like, I've already killed, I think he said, he's killed two. He's like, I've already killed two. Don't need to kill a third one. But, he says, I'm not giving this one back so that someone else can go kill him. I'm going to give this goat a pass. There's a goat up there that's going to get to live another year, right? But, because of his health, he also cannot make it up to go. And it's the first time, I asked him, is the first time health is keeping you off a hunt? He said, yep. I said, Shit! If I'm 82 and I get to say, yeah, this this year's the first year the that first I'm not, time. not going up on the mountain yeah. because of my health, like it'll be a good life, right? He added to that to say that uh, he said, like, that's all cool. I'm happy with it, whatnot. But he says, you know, kind of. He says, I hope you know when the time comes or when there's that moment. I think you can all kind of get what I'm getting at here. He's like, I hope to see what that goat is seeing. Wow, that's kind of a beautiful thought. He's stout. He's a good thinker. Yeah, I know I wasn't saying anything, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking to Jim. You knew you were going to talking say to Jim Poswitz. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking. I'm channeling Jim Poswitz, so I'm not actually saying mm-hmm. this. Jim Poswitz was talking about. Uh, you know, he's an elderly man, and a couple of years ago he was out hunting and near his home in Helena, and he's climbing up to a place to to hunt elk, a place where he knows the elk come through, and I got, yeah, shit. I got myself in a situation I was in earlier. Okay. Before I tell you this, I got to tell you some other things. <laughs> now, Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. So Roosevelt um, has this famous quote where, where a guy said like, so earlier I talked about how it came to be that the wild animals belong to the people. Um, you know, Roosevelt was wanted to be conservative and conserve wildlife. And so someone once said to Roosevelt, like, if it belongs to us, and it's ours, why can't we just go get it all? And he said, it doesn't just belong to you. It belongs to those Americans still in the womb of time. What a line. So Poswitz is uh, going up to hunt. And he becomes aware of a father and two kids behind him and on the trail. And the father is holding the kids back. Because he's reluctant to allow his kids to come smoking up past some old man. And Jim realizes that they're like purposefully plodding along out of, out of deference. And he says that he turns and talks to him and says, I want you to go ahead. And he says, and he's telling the story and he talks about um, them passing him. And there are three generations worth of those people that were in Roosevelt's womb of time out sharing the resource. Wow. He's a profound dude, man. It sounds like it. Yeah. He's got some real zingers. All right. Thanks for joining. 
Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.